Attention to roll call. Welcome to the 265 Police Live Series. Brought to you by the New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. The mission of this podcast is to provide expert analysis of past and present law enforcement related events with a trained eye. Listen to the boots on the ground weigh in on the court of public opinion. All right, everybody, how you doing today? 265 Police Live brought to you by New York's finest retired unfiltered podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to uh, represent and present this episode, which is brought to you by our friends at Laidlaw Blue Financial Services. Our friends at Laidlaw Blue Financial Services, they tailor their operation to NYPD members and their families. Please contact them at 888-901-BLUE. Again, that's 888 888- 901 blue for your financial services please let them know your friends at the finest unfiltered sent sent you their way and they will help you accordingly all right everybody thank you so much well right, awesome what's going on eric how's everything brother outstanding outstanding everybody how you doing 265 police live i'm retired nypd lieutenant most complaint cop eric dim along with me is the founder and the co-host, the New York Times Retired Unfiltered Podcast, John McCarry, standing in opposition of the forced vaccine mandate. What's going on, brother? Yeah, good, man. Hanging in. Hanging in. I wanted to get this. I'm excited for this episode. We're going to talk about uh, the effects of body-worn cameras on policing and on public safety. Uh, it was just something we've been throwing around on the internet. It's been getting a lot, a lot of different opinions every which way every who's for it who's against it who somewhat likes it who doesn't like it so i just think it's something that we should just talk about as in as in layman's terms boots on the ground what two guys who did actively policed in an era where we didn't wear body cameras and then were brought into an era where we were forced into wearing body cameras not that we were forced our unions negotiated and it's my contention it was a horrible deal 2.5 percent you know, I'm sure you feel the same, Eric. <laughs> well, you and I talked about this offline, and I'm pretty sure that you made a post about it, which is accurate. A 2.5% raise for the use of the body-worn cameras, which is a complete 180 to the game change of policing, was worth $50 a check. Keep that in mind. Police officers get paid bi-weekly. That's 26 paychecks in a year times $50. That $50 gets taxed for the entire year. So that's what that body camera was worth. And, John, you and I are going to propose various arguments how police officers or any rank that are actually darned, donned a body camera, which means to actually put it on and wear it, has changed the game completely and is not worth the money in regards to that. And there's numerous aspects and facets to it. Let's start. What, what would you, your thoughts, what would be the most important aspect to start with the body one cameras? I, th- I think just initially the dynamics and tactically is the fir- is the first first thing and like having to the weight. I mean, I get I get the new guys coming on and being trained with it, but I do think even then it's an unnatural thing to to have to turn a camera on when your adrenaline flows and you know you you like you're trying to get somebody to see what you see, but there's a camera on your chest and your head is on your neck, which swivels. So most of the time in policing, you're on a car, you're in a car, you're getting out of a car, you're on a foot post. 
the body camera is not going to give a perfect view of what a police officer sees. So I, I, and that's one. And now, you know, I think that's, I think that's the biggest thing that the tactically, the dynamic, it changes the whole dynamic of policing. There's this completely added element in there that is overweighing tactics. It's overweighing in your mind for everything and anything that you do. And you're going to act differently to try. You're going to act and move differently to try to get everything on camera because you know that that's the mission. But sometimes that will put you tactically at a disadvantage or in a life-threatening situation. Well, I'm glad that you brought that component up. Because when I was a special operations lieutenant, since the inception of the body one cameras, at the time we had gotten the body cameras, I can't forget the date because it changed the game for everything. It was June second of two thousand eighteen when we got the body cameras. And at the time we would we were told we would get a ninety day grace period. So what that meant is that the first ninety days of actually wearing the body one cameras, that none of it would be critiqued. And that none of it would be punitive. So immediately I knew right there. I'm getting the body one cameras. We were told that it was for transparency. They're better for the public relationship with the community. But right away, I was told, well, you're going to get a 90-day grace period so that you're not held to any potential discipline. So right away from there, I already knew it was foreshadowing for what was coming to the future, which was this was going to be another punitive tool and another tool for the police department, the public, the media to use as oversight. So as a special operations lieutenant doing special operations work, intrusive police work in plain clothes, I found it as a tactical nightmare. And I was told, well, what's the big deal? Just put it on. Well, there's a lot more to just putting on. Initially, when we got the cameras, it was by a company called Vview, And it had a 30-second rollback. So what that means if the public's watching. So the camera's sitting on your chest. And every 30 seconds, that camera goes through a loop. So that means it, it records what's going on for 30 seconds. No audio. The second you press it, the audio starts. And we'll go back 30 seconds. Now, after that... we. About a year and a half after that, we got what's called the Axon cameras. This was supposed to be a better company. They were having issues with the VView. Some of them were, were burning out. And that camera had a minute loop. But here's the problem. You cannot be a normal human being, as you said. So we were in the car, and we would talk. and We'd have conversations, venting, just normal banter of men and women talking. It's healthy. But as we're doing this, we may see something that draws our attention. And exactly you said, you're on a swivel. And the camera doesn't catch everything. But I remember I, I was in the car. I might have gotten a text from some way, someone, something important. Guys are in the car, let's be honest, getting texts from their girlfriends, you know, some naked photos. Listen, this, this is the reality. But now there's a minute loop of recording. And, and guys would be worried, oh, shit, did this record what's going on camera? So we see a guy walk down the street. Has all the behavioral indicators of carrying a firearm. But now the tackle nightmare is, did this camera catch anything bad that was going on the last minute? Not that's bad. We're normal, normal people, but it's not going to be appropriate for a camera. So now you have to think, well, wait, let's wait a minute. Let's, the public doesn't want to hear this. This is the truth. Let's wait a minute for everything to pass by and make sure that the camera's clear before we actually make this approach. Now we might lose this potential adversary who has a legal fire on this person of interest, this subject, because we're more concerned about the oversight of that one minute loop. What are your thoughts on that, John? I mean, again, it's a tactical nightmare. It, it could it could hurt you in a million different ways. And my my other thing, and I don't I don't know this to be true, but I mean, if it could go back thirty seconds, and if it could go back a minute, I don't believe that it can't go back for eight hours. I'm not buying. 
I just don't. I just don't believe it. I, I you know, I would like to see the full disclosure on how the, the camera operates. I don't I don't believe that we would have issued that at all. Um, so, you know, it could be it could, I could be 100 percent wrong on that, but I, I I don't trust it. How does how does it go back a minute? How does it go back a minute and it can't go back? It can't go back your entire the entire time. So I, I think, you know, I think it takes out the human element. I think there's a lot of things that need to happen in, in a car in downtime, uh, whether it be texting on the phone with your girlfriend, which I didn't do a lot of, by the way. I worked with a lot of guys that were on the phone the whole talk, like when we weren't doing something and it pissed me off. They weren't focused. Their head wasn't in the game. Um, I, I, I always hated that. I didn't, you know, if my, my wife, I wouldn't talk to her even when, you know, even when I was dating girls and I was single, I didn't talk to them when I was at work. I was quick text. Somebody text me. I would look at my phone every couple of hours, you know, other than if it was people that I was working with that night, only time I was really looking at my phone. So, but there, there is a decompression that happens in that car, whether it be, I don't know, dim tells me to go out there and get 10, two fifties. And I'm like, I got 10 calls this month and this jerk offs bothering me for 10, two fifties. And I just need to vent it out. You know what I mean? I need to talk it out. You know what I mean? And I need to talk it out with my partner or maybe I'm not thinking right about it. And the kid that I'm working with that night is going to help me to think right about it that night. Or maybe we had just dealt with something or we're dealing with something personally and we need we need to be human. But now we're worried about every second of the day because pol police work is, you know, hours of boredom filled by seconds of, of excitement and adrenaline. And, you know, you're driving in the car and boom, something happens in front of you. You turn your camera on and now you're worried about a joke that you guys were telling, talking shit about your boss, um, all normal things in life, talking about your girlfriend, talking about your wife, talking about your husband, your boyfriend, whatever it may be. And now everyone and their mother, CCRB is going to review that video. Risk management is going to review that video. Uh, the legal, the body worn camera from the legal department unit is going to view that video. Your sergeant's going to review that video. The assistant ICO is going to review that video. The integrity control office is going to view that video. The inspections unit is going to view that video. IB could potentially invest, uh, look at that video. The borough could potentially look at that video. You have upwards of 10 different oversights, possibly even more, possibly into almost 20, even possibly even to double that, depending on how far this goes. Could even go out to a news outlet. It could even be released to a news outlet later on, and it could be for the whole world to see. So how, how could I act normal? How could I, where's my decompression? How could I be human? I am, you are now on camera the entire time that you're in that car, the entire time that you're at work, the entire time that you have that body camera strapped on you. It's bad enough. You know, and I don't know that there's ever been studies about this either. It's bad enough when you're sitting there, the effects on your brain of constantly listening to that radio, constantly waiting for something to come over, constantly scanning the radio, regardless what you're doing, right? You're trying to be human. You're at work for 12 hours. You have to eat. You have to go to the bathroom. There's things that you have to do in that you maybe brush your teeth, whatever it may be. You have to do some normal things that humans do. You have to sit down for a second. But everything you do in that tour, especially when you're a supervisor, is you're, you're oh, constantly listening. You're constantly listening. I might be talking to you, but I'm not really talking to you. I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm scanning. I'm thinking, oh, what's that job? What's this job? 
you know, I'm playing all the jobs in my head, even the ones that I'm not going to. So I have that stressor on me. And not, not only do I now have that stressor, I just added the stressor of the body camera. And I believe it's a huge stress. I do. You and I were talking about this offline earlier today and yesterday also. I actually, I called and I reached out to several psychiatrists and psychologists within New York City. I haven't gotten in touch with anyone yet, but I have been in contact with, they're going to see if there's been any research on the effects of body-worn cameras or just wearing cameras in general, maybe in policing or even people that do what's the effects because it's my belief that I, I don't know the studies on it but it's my belief that like i said i'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist but i do believe that the body camera is going to have some mental effects on police officers and i think the main focus i think we should look at is explore the idea of paranoia and the reason why i say that is exactly that. i remember we're, we're, myself and the special operations cops that are with me were sitting in the car and we're engaged into a conversation, just like you said, natural, healthy conversations to vent. And cops would just be complaining about things about the job. And that's that's normal. You have to vent. And I remember sometimes guys would hit the uh, the camera by accident or when when men and women, when police in, in a in a this masculine type culture, kind of like hit each other when you talk and by accident someone hit someone on the chest and then a the camera going on then everybody would freak out like oh my god what just happened what were we saying that's paranoia so here you go like you said you have the radio so you constantly have to be aware of what's going on by listening to the radio but now you have the camera on you and you have to be aware of is this camera on did it catch an accidental uh did it catch an accidental charge of what's going on did we say something inappropriate that should not be a worry that should be a, a private area that car where men and women have an opportunity to talk and vent about police work because you need that outlet that it attributes to mental health but i do believe that we're going to see some effects of paranoia that's why i had asked you john i would love to do an experiment if we could have a control method and the control method to me would be let's say for instance john you and i are working together on a wait dim we just lost you my entire tours wait wait, wait 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 we just lost you go back totally you said me and you were okay together can you hear me now i got we got you yeah okay so the control, me control method would be this. Can you imagine, John, you and I are working together. We're in a patrol car. Whether it's doing intrusive police work in plain clothes or we're just in a patrol car. A seven-day period, normal tours, and we're not strapped with body-worn cameras. And if we compare that to two other cops strapped with body-worn cameras for a seven-day period, normal tours, I'm pretty confident if we were to check the blood pressure levels, the stress levels, the hormone levels, the sleep patterns, I'm pretty confident that we would see a huge comparison. It hasn't been done yet, but I think this is something we should explore to see what the mental health aspects could be of these body-worn cameras. Because I just think it's not organic. It's completely unnatural. I'll do the one without the body camera. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do the one without the body camera. I guarantee off the bat, I'm going to have more fun than you. I guarantee. Absolutely. Off the bat, I'm gonna be I'm gonna have more downtime than you of of actual downtime in the car or or in the lounge or whatever it is. I guarantee I'm going to be less stressed out. I'm going to be less stressed out on jobs as well. Well, here's the other argument. So I ha I had taken a poll on Twitter. It was a brief poll, and there was some odd approximately 2,000 views on this poll. 
But ironically, with that, there was only about 75 to 100 actual votes. So I think people are still kind of unsure what their take on it is on body cameras. So they might just be afraid to actually vote because this podcast has met some opposition for us telling the truth. So they might actually just be timid to actually place their vote. But the question is, do we believe that the body one cameras deter a police officer in law enforcement from doing intrusive police work? The answer is yes, no, somewhat or neither. The majority of people say yes. There were a couple, a couple of people that said no, very small percentage, and some said somewhat. And I don't think anybody actually voted neither. The body-worn camera, in my opinion, is a complete deterrent from doing intrusive police work. Absolutely. John, what are your thoughts? So I said the minute the body cameras got it released, I said that this is the death of proactive policing. Proactive policing... This is the death of it. It's over. And and my point was, is exactly that. I'm sitting in the car and I knew I knew how the job was going to evolve already. I knew I could see it already. I could see that the, it would be used as a disciplinary measure. I could see that there would already be a ton of discipline just around the care of the body camera. When you put it on, how you turn it on, how you store it, make sure it's charged, all this different nonsense of how it was. I, I remember even at one point where they were trying to tell cops how to stand on a car stop to make sure that they could get into the view so that they could see <laughs> on camera where like, and, and, you know, for me, I, I mean, I already know how I do a car stop. I'm, 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 I'm all the way back. I'm all the way back so that the, the driver has to like reach his head around to see me in an uncomfortable position. Did my, I already know my body camera is not picking up anything but the, but but the the uh the 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 side of the door that like the main part of the metal of the door that's there in the crash if it's if it's just right behind the driver's side door or maybe behind the passenger door if there's someone in the back passenger seat i'm gonna have all the windows open my body camera is not picking up the in the insides of that car until i get into that car like I already know that, and they were already telling people, "Oh, you have to make sure that you're getting, you're you're almost getting your body in in view." So I'm like, "Oh, in the view where the gun is, like where I could potentially get shot directly in my chest, so that you could see it on video when you're when you play it, you know." So I could already see how it was going to evolve. And a hundred percent, I I thought about it already. I'm driving in a car. I see three males. Um, and, and, you know, this happened to me, not with, not with during the body camera, but I see three males, one with a gun in his hand, have a male up against, uh, up against a train station with a gun in the stomach. What, now I have to turn my body camera on, right? I have to, which you didn't just see what I saw. So I'm, when I turn my body camera on, we go gunning the car at them. Next thing you know, we're running down the block, chasing and screaming, and I'm yelling, drop the fucking gun all which you can't see because it's a pitch black rainy night in a desolate dark street drop the fucking gun or i'm gonna blow your fucking head off right and i don't think the gun's getting picked up on that body camera i know my, me cursing and screaming and yelling that i'm gonna blow your fucking head off is is uh is is a thing me over the radio got a male with a gun running down the thing we're running here blah, 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 blah. um i know all that stuff's gonna get picked up but the initial onset of what I saw is not going to get picked up. And I know I'm going to be critiqued eight ways to Sunday because, listen, these district attorneys today are unbelievably awful. 
they are they should all be prosecuted in my my opinion for dereliction of duty none of them have a job they should i'm not i'm not even i'm not kidding at all like they i'm i'm dead serious they should be arrested like they should be arrested and removed from office but comparing them to when i was a cop i mean there is significantly worse but when i was a cop the da's were fucking awful as well they were fucking awful. They had a 99.9% conviction rate. You know why? Because nobody ever got went to trial. They pleaded everybody out. They tried to get rid of everything anyway. And I already knew what the DAs would start to say. Oh, well, that portion wasn't caught on camera. So, but we need, we need, we need video because the video age was starting to come. So I, I, I seen how that would evolve like into, so I, I said it, I said it originally, it's the death of proactive policing. I mean, some guys still did it like you. Um, you know, and, 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 and you guys were, were trying to find end arounds and, and, and have to work with it and make it more friendly for the oversight, not only just the oversight, but for the DAs as well. And um, like I said, I, I think it's the death of proactive policing. I think uh, I think we're seeing that now. Uh, absolutely. With the inception, the onset of the body one cameras, I remember I had a, a meeting with all my special operations guys, I said, and all my guys and gals, and he said in, in a room, now that we have the body-worn cameras, this changes everything. It doesn't change the way we police. It doesn't change Supreme Court case law. It doesn't change observation skills. It doesn't change the baseline, the bedrock of police and grassroots. But it does change how you feel, how you act. And what it does prove is the lack of trust for, for law enforcement personnel actually doing their work. And and I, and I told him that you have to understand when we go back to the old term of articulation, which I hate that term, but explanation, the ability to explain the situation, the story of what happened. I go back to an earlier podcast when you had interviewed me, and I always say this, that when you do intrusive police work, so it's self-initiated from stop to making the arrest, to actually bringing this person to court, the whole entire incident is self-initiated. You are selling a story to the district attorney's office. They have to believe and have the confidence in you, in your story. That doesn't mean we're selling a lie, but you're selling the story. You have to have the ability to explain it to someone that doesn't see what you see. Make them see what you see. Make them understand what you understand. Just in the same way, if you walked into a BMW dealership and you knew nothing about the car, you want that salesman to explain everything in detail. Make that story sexy so that you understand it and you want to buy it. It's the same thing. The cop has to get the dictionary to buy that story. But what I found was we got met with opposition, reluctancy, and the police department was not helping us in any facet. They weren't fighting for, for law enforcement personnel at all. And I know I had this... During the time of the body-worn cameras, we knew that it had a 30-second loop. It would go back 30 seconds. And also, on this, the cameras that we wear now, till present day, the loop is one minute. So we were pretty confident. If we made observation, someone walking or in a car, and it had all the behavioral indicators that would lead to a legal firearm, we would get out of the car and make that encounter. And if we believed that stop was going to go further, then we would activate the cameras. Because sometimes, and John, you know this, and for my 
my anti-crime police officers out there or my neighborhood safety or public safety or anyone in narcotics or gang, if you've done intrusive police work, you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. You have an eighth of a second to make a decision if you're going to conduct a stop based on what you saw. And if eighth of a second, the wheels are moving, you don't know exactly what you saw. And that's why I always say we go back to reverse engineering. But you conduct that stop based on reasonable suspicion. All the factors lead to an arrest. Once you're back at the base, at the command, and you start to reverse engineer, you can explain the, uh, the intricate facts that actually led to that arrest. Now, with the body cameras, that's not going to capture that. But with that being said, you get so good at this with your observation skills of the behavioral indicators that mirror other arrests that you have made with a legal firearm. Sometimes you approach a car. It had, it has, it's tinted. The back is heavy. There's some dents into it. The people in the car, you can't see their faces, but you see silhouettes. You can see them moving around. It's indicative that you're about to get a firearm in that car. You approach, you approach that front side, driver's side. That window comes down, and you see that young man's face or that woman or whatever the case is, and you know right away, and everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about, this is a good person. This is, hey, it had all the behavioral indicators, but this is not the person, this is not the stop that's going to lead the legal firearm. And you say, hey, have a nice day. So my argument used to be, why would we want to activate the camera on that? That's just a waste of data. But the argument that was presented to me is that the district attorney's office, the risk management, federal monitor, and all this oversight, the legal complaint review board, wanted to see that we were given discretion, wanted to see the stops that were, who was who is being provided with discretion and where we would make an arrest. Again, another tool to be punitive, to analyze Another statistic to say, okay, well, Lieutenant Tim and his team stopped 15 black people, two were arrested, maybe three white people were let go. I, obviously, there were some type of statistics that they were trying to drum up. That is a major problem with this body-worn camera, the lack of trust. That is a huge problem. And I let my people know that you are not being trusted. Your word is no good anymore. And that's why the terminology was brought to us, dashboard to dashboard. What does that mean? We were told, well... That camera has to go on before you get out of the car, and when you get back in, has to capture all the events, even when the actual encounter doesn't start. I think, again, another measure to be punitive. What do you think, John? What's your thoughts on that? No, oh, yeah, nobody trusts the police. I mean, it's it, we are. I I do believe that the body camera has nothing to do with public safety. It has nothing to do with keeping crime down. To say that the body camera improves public safety is to say that you are keeping the public safe from the police. So it's an anti-police narrative right at the base, right? It improves public safety. Oh, so the police are liars. Uh, I'll give you a scenario. I was a young anti-crime cop. It's late at night. It's probably 1.30 in the morning. I'm driving down a dark, desolate street. Car parks. Only, only person on the whole block. It's me and my partner. We're driving. He gets out of the car. He doesn't realize that it's an unmarked. He gets out of the car and he's holding a clear plastic shopping bag. And when he comes walking, when he comes walking after he parks the car, he like walks past us as we're driving right under a streetlight. And I see in the plastic bag about a pound of marijuana, a brick. And I only saw it because the, the streetlight was there. I was like, holy shit. I was like, stop that kid. So now I, I you know, I, I'll just finish the story first and then I'm going to interject what would happen with the body camera. So I stopped the kid. He goes, fuck, I'm an idiot. Turns around, puts his hand behind his back, puts the bag. I lock him up. I search him. I go down to the DA's office. I tell her that exact story. That She's good. Get the fuck out of here. It's the words that were used. I was like, 
That's exactly what happened. Go, he's he's still in the cell. Go ask him. Go ask him what happened. She's like, that didn't draw up. I said, listen. She goes, that didn't happen. I, I, I can't believe that that happened. I was like, listen, do what you got to do. That happened. Draw it up. If you don't like what I'm saying, call IAB. Fucking go speak to him in the cell. He's in the cell right now. It's exactly what happened. The only words he said to me were, I'm a fucking idiot. I'm sorry. And he, and he threw the thing on. Anyway, she winds up drawing it up. But I'm going to just do one further now. I have my body camera on. I'm driving. I see that kid. My body camera doesn't pick it up. I click it. I start walking after him. Now he's no longer in the streetlight. So they're going to be like, there's no way that you could have seen inside of that bag what that was because we didn't pick that up on the body camera. And then even if they do and they see what I've seen, the question will be then, you know what? He had a CI. Somebody told him something. He's withholding information because it's always distrust of us. We're always, we're never, there is no integrity with us ever. That's, uh, that's the basis of policing. And that's the basis of the body camera is that it's meant to keep the public safe from the police. And I have a big, big, big problem. Well, I've been saying this for a long time. Just at the surface, if we don't dig, and there's so much to dig in deep with this. I've said this, if we just, as a, as a basic notion, the body cameras can be effective when it comes to a major incident. I believe in, in, in certain circumstances, and I want to give my comparison on this, a major incident. And when it comes to minor incidents, I think it's completely subjective, and that's where the problem lies. And when I say a major incident, John, if you and I were patrol cops and we had a female prisoner and the body cameras on for the entire interaction and through the arrest process, even transporting her back to the precinct, what we have found years in the past Many female prisoners have made the allegation of rape because that's the only only chance they have of getting out of a situation. Now, God forbid, if some woman made an allegation that we raped her, clearly that body camera would exonerate us. That's a major incident in a case like that. However, the problem that I found with the intricacies lie is the minor incidents. And that's everyday police work. That's the patrol guy that responds to a domestic. That's the special operations, neighborhood safety guy, anti-crime, public safety, whatever you want to call it, narcotics gang. It's actually doing intrusive, self-initiated police work with that camera. Now, when it turns into a tussle, a violent perpetrator that's resisting, that's where the problem is. And that's where the Civilian Complaint Review Board really likes to grasp and chew at. Because those videos are completely subjective. Because only the police officers know what they're looking at and can actually articulate it. Most people, when they watch things like that, they don't understand what is actually happening. And they can't see what the police officer sees. And in many cases, what happens is when a police officer is engaged into a violent struggle, you say it all the time, the frontal cortex shuts down. There, you, there's a lot that happens with your adrenaline, what your body starts to experience, and what you feel and your sight does change what you can actually see. It's true that when people are in a violent tussle, that they're, uh, they're, I, f I forgot the terminology, but they're, they're, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if, if I could articulate this, but they're, I, I got to remember the name of this, but they're, when they actually, that's why they say, 
training, train how tr important training is, because what you're training is actually going to be what you actually do. So if you're not completely trained in something, it's not going to happen. So there's only so much that you can see. So if you're fighting someone, and it's possible that another person on your team or maybe uh, somebody you're working with get someone actually in handcuffs and you may still be deploying strikes because you don't know what happened and you still feel that you're in that fight because your adrenaline is up. So that's what I'm saying. I think these body cameras are more detrimental to the police officers. Again, I agree with you that when it comes to transparency, it's about transparency so that people could hold the police officers accountable, accountable for punitive measures. It's not used for public safety. It's not used to analyze to say, Hey, Let's look at the totality of circumstances and get to see what it's like to be in the police officer's shoes. No. Let's see what the police officer did, and let's find and seek out what's wrong. Anytime that we see these cases that have went national, global, immediately it's left ambiguous in the explanation of these videos so that they can seek out and find something wrong in case there's a potential lawsuit or this becomes politically charged. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, we, I had a little back and forth with some ESU guys, uh, retired, active, and, and they said, oh, you know, the body camera is a good thing. The body camera is a good thing. It has gotten us out of a lot of stuff in, in ESU. And I said, I, I said, well, I'll agree with that. It's a totally different dynamic than policing, though, members of ESU. I'm like, you're not taking any independent action. You're rolling up on a scene after the fact. You have layers of supervision. No one is making a call without the ESU duty captain. And I'm pretty sure no one's making a call without the duty chief even making that call. So you're already layered there. You're working in a team. You're highly trained. I think at that point, the camera will help. The chances of you shooting someone are very good. The chances of someone dying in that situation are very good. I think the camera in those scenarios is a good thing. But you change that to a patrol cop who's minimally supervised who is handling 20, 30 jobs, cannot handle it properly like ESU has the ability to. The patrol cops do not have the ability to handle jobs per the book. They just do not. They cannot. If, if they handle jobs per the book, they would never leave the station house to get out for that tour. The patrol supervisor <laughs> would never turn them out, and the desk officer would never stop making entries. It just, it's, it's an impossibility. It's an impossibility. Um, so they are running out there doing 20, 30 jobs a night. They're doing the best they could do with the resources they have. I'm not saying that they're cutting corners because they're lazy. I'm saying they're cutting corners because they can't do it. And if they follow that, that would impede public safety. They're going out out of the goodness of their hearts and, and taking a lot of the brunt of this job on them. And those body cameras are being used against them. And discipline is up significantly since those body cameras were instituted and discipline is up around everything around the body camera, the body camera, all the stuff in the station house, you didn't charge it. You didn't do this. That's all internal. That's all inspection shit, all that stuff. But the videos CCRB said it themselves and they said it in 2019. I got to get newer data on this. Um, but in 2019 prior to body cameras, the inception of body cameras, they were substantiating about 13% of jobs for discourtesy or offensive language. And in by 2019, they were up to 31%, almost a 200% increase 
just in 2019. I would say now, if you compare that number from then to now, it's going to be upwards of 2,000%. You know, the numbers of people found for discourtesy and using offensive language are up significantly. You know, I know we didn't do the, the True Blue episode number two, um, but I watched that and it actually got released about a month earlier and I watched it and then it kicked me off in the middle of it. And the, the only thing that I, I, I was like, when I was watching it, I was like, oh my God. And it was good. It was entertaining. But every stop, every, every stop that they did in the beginning, now they went from that, that, that team from the chief of department, they had it, they had, they went to actual precinct and every stop were heavy jobs, gun runs, whatever. And they actually told what happened with that case and all that kind of the stuff that we were talking about. But every stop, the cop was like, drop the fucking gun, get on the fucking floor. Put your fucking hands behind your back. And I was like, holy shit. I'm like, we just gave them substantiated CCRBs. Like, why would you put this out? So anyway, they stopped the video in the middle of it, kicks me out, says that it was what I, I don't know what it says. I had no permission to be in there or whatever. They just re-released it. I watched it again and they blank out all that part. But it doesn't matter. CCRB subbing those guys. They're getting subbed for discourtesy and offensive language. I'm like, it, it's, it, and what they really do, their adrenaline was flowing. Get on the fucking ground is, is, is somebody should, somebody should be penalized for that. They're being used in, in, a, in a punitive manner. Well, I think it's absolutely the most ridiculous thing when it comes to the civilian complaint review board. I've been to numerous investigations where I was questioned over and over about a volatile situation where I'm telling someone, get the fuck back. Give me your fucking hands. Get the fuck back. And throughout the totality of the circumstances, we're, f we're struggling with someone over an illegal firearm or someone's arrested for a robbery. Someone was arrested for a shooting in these numerous complaints. And I would ask, I, I'm, I'm quite perturbed by the fact that the main focus on this is my language in a volatile situation where lives are on the line. But that's the main focus, is that I actually use a swear word. Now, they don't know this, but I say this, and John, you know me. I don't curse a lot in general. It's just it's just not the way I speak. It's not my matter. I don't see the wrong with it, but I just don't. But in volatile situations like that, I do. And it's not because it's offensive. I always say it's like this. Have you ever put a hammer in the wall? I'm, I'm sorry, you ever have a hammer in your hand, and you put a nail in the wall, and you hit your thumb? I've done it. John, I'm sure you've done it. I'm sure the men and women out there watching this have done it. And if you don't say fuck after hitting your own thumb, then you're not normal because everybody does. I know I like to work on cars. I like to do plumbing. I like to, I like to do work. And there's plenty of times I stuck myself with a nail or I hit my hand with a hammer and all kinds of curse words come out. That's exactly what's happening. When the police engage the public, and they're in a volatile situation and lives are on the line or they're moving quick or they got to get out of a place, especially working in housing. You could have an incident or a situation where there's two people. The next thing you know, the entire neighborhood is out. Why? Because you're working in someone's home. It's actually their backyard. Next thing you know, you have 3,000 people out there and you have a huge crowd. So sometimes we will be saying to each other, shit, we got to get the fuck out of here. Let's go. We got to go. And CCRB, that's all they would focus on. Now, I understand. If someone was completely unprofessional and they just approached someone on the street, hey, buddy, do me a favor. Get the fuck off that corner. Go stand somewhere else. That I can understand. That's completely unprofessional. But when you're in a volatile situation and there's a violent struggle and you have to get an illegal firearm out of the hands of another and into the custody of the police, well, 
Where is the benefit of doubt? At that point, all bets are off, and the totality circumstance should be on the benefit to the police officers. But unfortunately, you and I heard the underling to executive director of Civilian Complaint Review Board, Jonathan Dosh, testify testify in front of the New York City Council that that doesn't come into factor. It doesn't matter totality circumstances. It's only the way the civilian felt. But you know what? How does the police officer, how does the sergeant, lieutenant, or any rank feel in a situation where they're trying to wrestle over an illegal firearm and there's a large crowd and they and everyone's assholes are quivering because you need to get out of Dodge safely? That is never taken into account. So these body cameras... They will only hurt you. It didn't help me. I had a situation putting a woman in the car, and she told me to suck her dick about 40 times. And eventually, I had a huge crowd piling up, and I said, ma'am, get the fuck in the car. And the Civilian Complaint Review Board said, is that you? I said, yes, it is. And they said, why did you do that? I said, because I'm putting emphasis on this. I got a large crowd out here. It's getting pretty scary. I want to get the hell out of there. It didn't matter that 47 seconds throughout that entire time, I was told to suck her dick. But all that mattered was 48 seconds. Lieutenant Dim said, get the fuck in the car. John, I know you agree that that's absolutely an atrocity. But according to the discipline matrix, today, with aggravating factors, that could lead to your termination. Termination with an aggravating factor, termination one time, first time for discourtesy, offensive language. And there's a huge difference between cursing and cursing at somebody, right? You're in a stressful situation and you're tussling or there's a gun or your adrenaline's up. Get on the fucking ground. Put your fucking hands behind your back. You're not cursing at somebody. You're cursing. You're not even doing it consciously. Because like Dim said, you bang your finger. You're going to be like, ah, motherfucker. Shit. (laughs) Fuck. What happened? (laughs) You're not even consciously doing that. You're not cursing at someone. Just like he said, you know, it's not like you pulled someone over and you're like, you're a fucking jerk off. You're this. That's cursing at someone. Sorry. If you do that, you're going to get, you're going to get a rip. I'm not going to. Yeah. Have I done it? Yeah. Is is it right? No, it's not. And you 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 deserve you, you deserve something like that's it's unprofessional it's uncalled for you know you, you you kill them you know we have plenty of tools on our belt well we had plenty of tools on our belt when i was a cop use them you could lock somebody up you could give them a summons you know you could do a million things you don't have to engage with someone in a verbal altercation right that that is that is stupidity that is unprofessional that is something that you should not be doing past a year on this job maybe it takes you a minute to understand and learn that um, but it took me a little bit to understand and learn that, but I did. And uh, like I said, there's a huge, huge difference between cursing and cursing at someone, but cursing will get you found guilty today of discourtesy and offensive language by CCRB. And, and it's not just discourtesy. It's everything that's up. Every, every form of CCRB is up due to that body camera. But you know what's not up? You know what's well, you know what actually is up along with the body camera? Crime. Crime's up significantly since we installed the body cameras. Do you do you think that there's a correlation between that? Oh, absolutely. Goes back to my question. Do we believe that body cameras deter law enforcement from doing intrusive police work? And the answer is absolutely the majority of it should be yes. And it's my opinion, and based and it's anecdotal based on my experience. That intrusive police work is what actually deters and curbs crime. Omnipresence, which is important, displaces crime. But to actually deter crime and to actually curb our crime statistics or crime rates, it's intrusive police work. And body cameras inhibit intrusive police work. 
And I'll tell you this, another factor, which I find that is completely punitive by the civilian complaint review board, that's deterring our cops and also risk management, which is an oversight amongst the New York City Police Department that's comprised of attorneys. It's comprised of the federal monitor. And that was uh, emanated because of the stop, question, and frisk lawsuit in 2013. So with that being said, all this oversight you have in regards to body cameras is, is a problem. And here's why. And this is why I feel that we actually were trusted more without the cameras than now. Based on Supreme Court case law, and this is nationwide, a police officer's actions, a police officer's senses are based on real time. Hindsight is 2020. You are given the benefit of the doubt of what you were feeling of what was happening at the time. And the problem with the body worn camera is you can explain exactly that. What happened to you? What you felt in a volatile situation? What a violent struggle with a person of interest, a subject, a perpetrator, a complete adversary. And then the Civilian Complaint Review Board has an opportunity to watch that body camera in slow motion, dissect it into pieces. And that's not the reality. That's not how things unfold when you're actually doing police work. And one thing the Civilian Complaint Review Board will never understand, unless they actually walked in the shoes of a police officer, is the distortion of time. Time gets completely distorted when you're in a volatile situation. You can easily think 10 minutes is, a thir is 30 seconds or vice versa. You could feel that 30 seconds is 10 minutes, and that will never reflect on the body cameras in a controlled environment where you have an opportunity to slow it down. You'll never go into field with the police officer see and understand. Also, with the body cameras, you can look at it from different angles, and you could say, hey, did you, do you see this? Do you see that? And you know what? It could be right in front of a police officer's face. But he or she may not see that because they're in a volatile situation. Their frontal cortex shut down, and there's only so much they can see and only so much information that can flow into them. I was struggling before uh, on this information. It's been some time. But what I'm talking about is the fine motor skills. You lose. When you're in situations like this, you lose your fine motor skills, and you have to go back to your gross motor skills. That's what I'm talking about. Unfortunately, I had a brain fart, but that's exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, no. And you get, you get in tunnel vision, right? You get tunnel vision. You zero in on something. I could, you, you just zero in, you know, um, so, and some people are very good at not getting tunnel vision or, or keeping their tunnel vision focused on where it needs to be. And others aren't, you know, I mean, there's plenty of times I could think of in policing where the world slowed down for me and I kind of lost a lot of things that were going on outside. And I was just like this zeroed in, you know, and I, plenty of times that happened to me and, and you kind of just forget where everybody is around you, you know, um, that's happened to me. And I'm sure that's happened to anyone that's policed for a, a long time, numerous times. You know, what do you, what do you think about the guys? Cause it, it's, it's my opinion. I hear <laughs> a lot from a lot, a lot of people. I love the body camera. I love it. I'm like, you don't, you don't wear a body camera every day. You wear it every now and then. You love watching videos. You don't love the body camera for you to wear it. You love critiquing somebody else. You wouldn't be able to wear it that whole time. And even the newer guys that are saying, oh, no, I think it's good. I think the body camera is good. I'm saying give it a little time. Give it a few more years. Come back to me in two, three years. You tell me that you still love that body camera. But, I, but you need to be the police. You need to be out there every day for fucking three years doing your transit OT, which I heard they just canceled, by the way. So transit crime's going up again. Um, <laughs> it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. So no. transit crime's going right back up. Um, so 
So, I mean, what, what, what do you think about those guys? Oh, I, I love the body camera. I love it. Well, well, this podcast is about seeking the truth and being honest. So what I'm going to say is this. Some people might find it offensive, but this is true. If there is anyone out there that loves the body camera, you have not done one day of real police work. You have not done any intrusive police work, and you're not an active, aggressive police officer that's trying to deter crime. It's just completely impossible. Just as I go back and I've said before, I've worked with plenty of cops who said, and I've heard them tell stories vicariously, uh, uh, vicariously through me. I've heard stories, cops uh, tell war stories, but they were never actually there. If you're wearing a body camera and you drive around with it and you're just wearing that uniform and you're an empty suit, yeah, you might love it. But if you're actually out there and you engage the community and you engage the public and you have encounters with adversaries, persons of interest, subjects, perpetrators, in the intent to actually remove an illegal firearm, that body camera is going to inhibit you. It's going to be a handicap. And unfortunately, it's become about oversight. I like to reflect on a video that happened a couple of years ago. There's two police officers in special operations. They're fine cops. They don't want to release their names. They are some of the best cops I've ever worked with. Body cameras were pretty much new and they were in the infancy. At the time, we had an excessive amount of prisoners at PSA 7. And we had to lodge prisoners at the 4-0 precinct. Two of my police officers had taken the prisoner there. They had taken their body cameras off to put it on the desk to start their administrative paperwork in regards to this arrest. And what happened? An unhinged man walked into the 4-0 precinct, brandished a knife. And at this time, everyone was busy and no one saw it except those two police officers that worked for me because special operations, they have those observation skills. But unfortunately, one police officer was backing up trying to get to his firearm. And also, he was protecting. If you haven't seen the video, he had his prisoner in his grasp and he was protecting the prisoner. You want to talk about outstanding police work and showing regard for public and public safety? He, he didn't forget the prisoner was in his grasp. He was protecting himself and the prison as well. And the other police officer that actually got closest to the unhinged man with, who brandished a knife before he took his firearm out, he went to the desk, grabbed his camera, put it on his chest, and put it on. Now, to me, that's sad because that's an eighth of a second. But in his mind, it was more important about the oversight that he, he may face than actually what would happen with his life on the line or others in the precinct. Now, he ended up doing a fantastic job, and they got the guy into custody without incident. But that's sad. Honestly, I think that's completely sad. What do you think? Very scary. It's very scary, but it shows it shows how much the oversight is having a mental effect on officers. It really does, because it shows how worried he is about it. You know what I mean? And 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 you know, we're not seeing all these things too that like, you know, like we're we're all human, you know. You you go to a job and you know, you handle the job the best way you can. And again, I'm gonna say you did not follow, I don't care how great of a job you did. I think I think I was very by the book, but I've never done anything exactly by the book, you know, and I think I was very by the book. But I think I could if I had to sit there and critique myself for every job and I knew the patrol guy very well and I knew the street very well and I knew the application of it very well. I don't think that I, I think that I could go to every job I ever did and find myself guilty of a million different things and find everyone else guilty of a million things, even though we handle those jobs to the best of our ability. I don't think anybody could have done it better. 
and I'm I'm not I'm not conceited. I'm I'm literally telling the truth. I don't think anyone could have did it better. And I do think that I could have found a million things that I did wrong. And that's what we're doing today. We're taking things, non-issues, and ripping people to shreds. And those are the things that are sitting with cops when they go home at night. They're like, oh, man, you know what? I think we were supposed to do that other form, but it's not on my body camera. And I was supposed to give her my business card. Oh, man, and I forgot to do this. And, oh, I forgot to do that. And, and, and you know, a lot of people take this job home with them. A lot of people do. I mean, I always tried to decompress and then get out of there. I never got into the drinking. I always had working out. I was always into girls. That definitely helped me a lot. Like, it helped me a lot. <laughs> you know, it's true. Like, I just, I, you know, I, I, I focused on other things after work. Um, but there are a lot of guys that go to drinking or there are guys that will sit home and, and replay everything that they did the whole day over and over and over again in their head and worry about what they did. And now they're worried about the camera and they're worried about the 15 different observations that they're going to get. And it's not, it's not just one critique and it's like, all right, follow these set of rules. It's like, no, well, Eric reviewed the video and there was nothing wrong with it, but John reviewed the video and he found something in it. And it's like, Oh, look what I found, you know? And now I'm getting jammed up just for going out there and doing my job. And I didn't really do anything. I, you know, early on in the inception of the body camera, this copy stops somebody and uh, they get into like a little verbal. The cop handles it very professionally, de-escalates the situation. The guy goes on his way. Um, the cop goes to turn the camera off. He's not talking to anyone. He's talking to himself. He's by himself, the cop. And he says, fucking savage. And it gets picked up. And a lieutenant calls that in and that kid gets a CD. Who's the complainant on that? There is no complaint. He said, fucking savage. The complainant was the lieutenant that called it in. Oh, he, he, uh, I, 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 to me, that's a non-issue. He wasn't talking to anyone. He whispered under his breath. He didn't say it to anyone. No one heard him. He said, fucking savage. And he got to see this. Um, and you know, oh, is that racial now? Is that hate speech? No, I call everybody. I, I, I police mainly Italian kids. I used to call them fucking savages. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I'm Italian, you know, it, it depends how you act. If you act like a fucking animal, you're an animal. You know, um, and and now all these things you're you're interjecting all of these issues that weren't there. So you know, I I just I just think the mental mental effect of it really needs to be studied. And there's a mil- I I could I think I could talk about this for a week, dude, about how many different stressors this is going to add on to you. And and like you said, best anxiety, legitimate anxiety. That same anxiety that you got from the radio and you got worrying about your guys. And you got in high adrenaline situation. There's an anxiety to, I got to put that camera on. What did I do on that body camera? I got to label my videos correctly. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. I got to be perfect. I got to be perfect. Cops have to be perfect, but there's no perfect people. You know, cops have to be perfect. Since you mentioned the word de-escalation, I want to say thank you. John and I had an opportunity to watch a New York City Council budget hearing. And I want to say thank you to Deputy Commissioner Mark Stewart, who informed us about his option program that has options in the program. And it turns out from 127 in Pennsylvania, and it's the de-escalation program. So I want to thank him because I never knew what de-escalation was, but now I know. I'd like to thank him. And I, what I learned from that, and I, I hope he's watching and he hope he hears this because I looked on Google for him. I did a search and I cannot find 127 in Pennsylvania. So I don't know how he gets to work. 
I, I, I'm trying to help him out. I don't know how it comes up in the GPS. It's apparent to me that he's never actually been there. He did say it turns out. If anybody has an opportunity to listen to it, he doesn't say he turns out or I turn out. It's just it turns out from one to seven Pennsylvania. So that that's all I wanted to say about that. But if you have an opportunity, because it was pretty informative about the escalation. So if you have an opportunity, it's important that you watch that. Check him out. Deputy Commissioner Mark Stewart, thank you for the information. Uh, with that going forward, I, I like to say I think everything that you're, you're talking about is 100% the anxiety with the body cameras, the anxiety with the radios coupled with each other. It's just completely unnatural. The body wall cameras are used as a punitive measure. Everything is critiqued. It's dissected. You can roll down slow motion. Uh, did the cop do the proper paperwork in this? And what happened with that is we found, especially doing intrusive police work, that I will say this, okay? I broke many rules of the New York City Police Department, and, uh, of the patrol guide, on a constant basis. We did not break law. I will say that. We did not break the law. But we broke rules on a constant basis so that we could move quick because the ultimate goal was getting that illegal firearm. I will tell you this right now. Honestly, my teams and I, I used to say this. I said I was never, I never did any drugs in my life, but... From what I've seen and what I've heard in the conversations I've had when I arrested uh, heroin addicts, I said, you know what? Getting that illegal firearm off the street was our drug. It was like heroin. Every time you got an illegal firearm off the street, it was a complete high. Myself and the teams would celebrate. We knew that we saved a life or maybe several lives. It was the best feeling. And you had to wait till you get that next illegal firearm to get that feeling again. It, it was just, it was an amazing feeling to remove that illegal firearm working as a team. But these body cameras totally inhibit that because it started, uh, it started to become an administrative nightmare. And we were constantly critiqued. And it was asked, do, do we do a stop question and first report for this stop? Where's the report for this? Where's the consent form? And yes, and many times we didn't do these reports. It was administrative oversights because we were moving quick. We want to get to the next encounter. Next encounter, keep investigating. Do as much police work we can in a short amount of time to get that illegal firearm. So yeah, we, we broke rules. My member book was a disaster. Were all the stop and if question first reports could done? No. Because we were out there with the right intentions, but who were we hurting? The only ones that we get hurt in the end was myself and the police officers, and we would get to critique. And I remember we had the borough commander in, in, in housing in my last year, and his name was Louis Cologne, who was completely inept and totally inadequate and didn't support us because his team of integrity officers were tasked to watch the body cameras of intrusive police work. And who was doing the intrusive police work? It was anti-crime was transit to public safety and it would say how, the percentage of how many were not done correct paperwork was missing well these guys are the ones doing the actual work that coincided with these body cameras the patrol guys are not doing the intrusive police work so you're not viewing those police those those uh body cameras so these guys are suffering the pain of it because if there's a hundred stops in the entire month 99 were done by the special operations. One was done by patrol. So who's going to bear the pain of the percentages of the amount that's not doing it correctly according to your paperwork would be the special operations unit. So it's my opinion that intrusive police work suffers the most by the body-worn cameras. Uh, you're not going to get a disagreement from me. I, and yeah, I'll tell you, I, 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 and I don't think anyone, I really haven't heard anyone say it other than civilians because the, the, this is the other take of civilians. If you're not doing anything wrong, What's the big deal? 
What do you think about that? If you're not doing anything wrong, this is from civilians. You know, my 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 response to to every single one of them. How? Why don't we strap a camera on your chest every day? Tell me how you feel. Whatever job you do, whatever job you do, I'm going to strap a camera on your chest. I'm going to give you ten to fifteen units that are going to review that body camera, whatever your job was, and then they're going to critique your whole day. Tell me how you feel. Oh, I think that's a great point. Let's just imagine you had even as uh, let's just say you're working as a cashier. Could you imagine you were a cashier at Macy's and you had a body worn camera on your chest and you had that one customer that drove you crazy that no matter what you did, they always they had a response, a question that elicited another response. They were rude. They mistreated you, but you had to take it. Because the customer is always right. Just as a police officer has to be able to take being belittled by the public because that's part of being a police officer. Now, imagine you had that body camera and it's the end of the day. And now you have the last person you just served and you forgot the body cameras on. You said, damn, what a fucking day. That one lady drove me crazy. Oh, my God. With her stupid fucking hair. Uh, breath was stunk. She was driving me crazy. You're just venting. But now it's caught on camera, and now you have a problem with the HR of Macy's, and they're looking to fire you. How are you going to feel? It, I, I totally don't understand what the civilians say by this. Say, well, you're not doing anything wrong. But you know what? Doing anything wrong or right in whose eyes? What perception? Great case. In the one-to-one -one precinct, a white police officer was seen on camera punching a female youth 14 who was actually a perpetrator in this case who just punched a police officer, admittedly punched a police officer in the face. And this police officer had to deploy strikes to get this girl into cuffs. And what were we told by Mayor Eric Adams? It doesn't look good. So it's not a matter of right or wrong. It's sometimes of how it looks. And yet, John, you made a great point. You and I spoke about it. This body-worn camera might have been the opportunity to actually exonerate this particular police officer because this police officer was suspended immediately without an investigation because it didn't look good, according to Mayor Adams. But yet we have not seen that body worn camera yet. So that is a problem I have. Where's the transparency to exonerate the police officer? We didn't see it. No, transparency is only transparent when it's good for when, it, when it's good for them, when it's politically when it's politically good. But there was a question that you asked me offline and, I, and I'm going to ask you it now. You asked me. um would a body of one camera have exonerated Daniel Panaleo? What, what, no, you asked me, would it have made a difference in the Aragona situation with Daniel Panaleo? So I'm asking you now. You know, I, I was curious. I, want, I wanted your thoughts on that. Uh, in my opinion, because it was such a politically charged incident, I don't think the body, ca body cameras would have made a difference to help him. I think the body cameras would have been utilized to hurt his case even more. And I think it would have been weaponized to to give the understanding of his termination. And, and I think that possibly with the body-worn cameras, he might have been terminated even earlier. I think the body cameras would have been detrimental to his case. And I think it would be completely subjective. I, I don't I don't see it being as a, as a tool or an edge to elevate him in his case and help him at all. It's particularly because it was so politically charged. Yeah. What, what do you think? Yeah, no, again, like I said, like I told you, I don't think the truth matters. It'll show that Eric Gardner wasn't choked, and it doesn't matter because it's, it's all a bunch of bullshit. It's still this overwhelming anti-police rhetoric. It's not saving any cop. Discipline is up significantly since the inception of body cameras. 
So for anyone to say it's helping cops, I don't understand how. I mean, CCRBs substantiated are up significantly since the body camera. So I don't believe it's helped the cops. And I'm going to make the case, I don't believe it's helped the public because crime is up significantly since the inception of body cameras. So I really don't know. I mean, listen, it's nice. I like seeing videos too. Everybody likes watching videos, right? Everybody likes to be a critic. We're critics now, right? We're talking heads. But I mean, I don't think it's fair. And the other point of it is physically, I mean, like, look, I, I, look I'm seeing all this stuff with the firemen now. Their gear causes cancer. The, the, the equipment that they use causes cancer. The chemicals that they were using are causing cancer. The, their actual suits that they wear every day causes cancer, right? What, what, what is this? What is this? I put this body camera on my chest and I walk around with it for 12 to 16 hours a day, seven days a week. What is that going to do to a police officer? Oh, I, I agree 100%. It's something we can explore and find out how much radiation is actually coming from that body camera that you're consuming in an entire day, entire week, entire month, and eventually a year. I don't know. I, I don't know the numbers on it, what the radiation is, but I'd love to explore it because just that, just by looking at it, what I know about radiation, clearly we are emanating radiation on your chest because there's a battery to this. It has to get charged for an entire evening or day, depending on what your tour is till the next time you don this body camera. So there's definitely some type of radiation. I don't know what the levels are. I, I, I don't know what the comparison fits to the actual radiation you just get on a daily basis or what you get from the sun. But just at first glance, if I was a betting man, I have to say that this radiation could be a, p a potential issue and problematic, something for us to see in years to come. I, I do feel that way, that there's going to be something with these body cameras. Yeah, and I, there has been no study on it. So I want to study the body camera on your chest, what that does. I want to study with a cell phone on your hip that you're required to carry for the police department, what that does. I want to study for the radio also on your hip what that does. And then I want the study of all three of them together at once on your body for 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week. If you're going to tell me that those things don't cause cancer, you're, we're not living in reality. You're going to tell me all oh, these are safe and effective then too. The, the phone, everything's safe. The body cameras are safe and effective. Safe and effective. They got a 97 yeah. effective rate. 100%. You know, like those, I, I, those, those things have not been studied. They, they haven't been looked at at all. The mental effects, the physical effects, and all for $50 a check, 2.5%. I do agree they were coming. I, but to just lay down and say, yeah, we'll take 2.5%. We'll take 2.5% for it. That's good. $50 a check. Why? Because they don't give a fuck because they're not wearing it. They love the body cameras too. Yeah, no, we love it. Yeah, you love it. You never fucking want one. Yeah. Well, it's funny you said it. They love it. I think the other problem with it is, first of all, Civilians say, if you're not doing anything wrong, what's the problem? Well, the problem is this. It's completely subjective. Who is to say that when the Civilian Complaint Review Board investigator watches a police event and maybe arrest a stop question, first encounter, or even just handling a car accident, any particular incident, does the Civilian Complaint Review Board investigator actually know what they're looking at and i like to use this example john i love to do plumbing i love to do work sometimes i'm doing some I'm doing some work maybe i'm changing pipes or whatever the case is i'm fixing something and i come into a problem or something i'm not aware of 
Where do I go? I go to YouTube. I call it YouTube University. I can learn anything on YouTube. And sometimes I watch a video where it'll explain to me where to put the class, how to connect these two pipes, where, where to put the, uh, the propane. And I'll have to watch the video like six times because I'm not sh I I'm looking at it like I don't even know what I'm saying. And this is a subject that I know of. So imagine you're a civilian complaint review board investigator. You've never made an arrest, but you're watching an arrest situation and you probably have to watch it several times to actually figure out what you saw. And even then, you haven't actually done it yet. Could you actually explain what you're looking at? Do you know what you're looking at? It's completely subjective. So again, I say to the civilians, you say if you're not doing anything wrong, it's not about wrong. It's not about right. It's about how it looks and how it's going to be perceived. In the end, it's about optics. That's all it's about. Optics. Yeah. Oh, it's, uh, yeah, I just, I just, I just think it, it really needs to be looked at. And again, Everyone that's saying body cameras are successful, discipline for police officers up significantly. Crime is up significantly. Did it help the police? Did it help public safety? I say going by the numbers, absolutely not. Speaking of, do we have those numbers? I remember looking at them from CCRB. I think there was a 30% 30, uh, 30 increase in dispositions of substantiated. Yeah, I'm, I'm not it, sure. It was a 2019. They haven't done an updated. We're going to get an updated. We'll give you the numbers. But I'll tell you right now. Just I'll tell you right now. Everything is up. I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head. Everything is up. All the substantiators are up. Whatever they are. Minor, over, you know, any anyone telling you anything differently, they're lying to you. I mean, obviously, everyone's getting slammed all the way up to Inspector. Inspector and Downs getting slammed. Chiefs are getting let go. White shirt immunity now starts at one so. <laughs> you know what? You know what's crazy? Because I, I read that document, uh, the CCRB packet in reference to body cameras, and they had in the bottom of the document key findings. So basically, a summary of their of their investigation, their analysis of the correlation between view board and body cameras and the effect on substantiating cases, closing cases. And one of the captions read in some substance. I, I don't remember the exact exact verbiage, but in some substance, basically was. A key finding was that the the, the wearing or the, the donning of body-worn cameras enabled or allowed the Civilian Complaint Review Board to substantiate more cases. So I, I had several times said to myself, you know, I have a problem with this wording. Why doesn't it say that the body-worn cameras led to more investigations being closed or the body-worn cameras led to more or better investigations to get an outcome. But why does it say that it, it enabled and allowed the Civilian Complaint Review Board to substantiate more cases? The ultimate goal should not be to substantiate or unsubstantiate. The ultimate goal should do an investigation that leads us to the correct outcome. And if the correct outcome is substantiation, well, then so be it. And if the correct outcome is exoneration, well, then it, it should be that way. But it's my opinion, based on that verbiage, based on the Civilian Complaint Review Board monthly meeting that you and I attended, based on the testimony we heard at the New York City Council meeting, that that is not what's important. The investigation has is already determined. Your guilt is already determined, and then the investigation is about substantiating 
the case against the police officer. That's what the, the investigation is for. And the body camera has just become another tool to weaponize against you. So you're better off actually not wearing the camera and actually getting an administrative charge of other conduct possibly noted than actually wearing the body camera where you just provided this ability to review board a tool to hurt you, to be used against you. 100%. And now if you don't have video, you have another problem, right? I heard they were trying to go after you for – I heard they're, they're, they're looking at uh, tampering with evidence if there's no video. What do you do when you're out on a – on a detail for, I don't know, seven days, let's say Unger, seven, 14 days. Now every day is a detail. I know they just canceled the transit, but let's say that was going on. You're on a, you're on Unger for six months where you work in 14 hour days, 15 hour days every day, no days off. How are you keeping that body camera properly charged? You're not. So now an incident happens and you don't have camera footage because your body camera is not charged. They're looking at tampering with evidence. I mean, this is where it's going. I mean, that is where it is going. There's no kind, there's no footage. You did something wrong, boom, you're getting slammed. Um, there's there's no mistakes, there's no humanity. You can't be human with the people that you're talking to. You can't say you can't be human with your partner, you can't be human with the people you're dealing with. Um, I don't know. I I I I I, I and again, I'm not saying that the body camera can't be a good thing. I think it could, but as far as it relates to the NYPD. It is being utilized in a much worse fashion than Comstat, and Comstat is being utilized totally improperly, and has been since the inception. And now the body cameras are even worse than that. The way that we're utilizing them now, and and again, it all stems from inept, nonsensical leadership with zero spine. Yeah. They don't care about their troops. They don't care about you. And they don't care about public safety because if they did, you would hear them talk about it. They do not, you know. And we wait for we wait for one little thing to hang on. Oh, he's the best. It's like oh, <laughs> he said this one time in his career, like you know. Um, so I don't know. That that's that's my take with that. Um, anything else that we mess with the body camera? No, I, I, listen. I, I just want to add this, and this is important that the public understands and cops who do intrusive police work, know exactly what I'm talking about. When you're wearing that body-worn camera, not only are you being subjected to a critical eye by those that may have never walked in your shoes who are not willing to also, it's a tactical nightmare. Because, John, you and I, you know, just like playing football or any sport, sometimes there's time for a huddle. And what does that mean? You might be out there with your team, and you have someone, uh, you're isolating them, there's potential this person actually has a legal firearm on them. And we need to, this might have happened last, last second. Maybe we'd have an opportunity to have a tactical safety uh, a safety mission before we actually go out. This one just happened on the fly. And it might be an, uh, there may be a moment where I need to speak to one of my police officers and say, hey, listen. Listen, clearly this guy's not going. All right, listen, I'll take him down from the legs. You take him down from the from the shoulders, and we'll take him down, put him in cuffs. Because we know this person's already going to fight, right? That's part of the escalation. Sometimes it's taking that person down before they can actually start deploying strikes, getting them into custody without them getting hurt or any police officers. But now with the body cameras, it's my opinion, you, you couldn't do that. 
because now civilian complaint review board or the district attorney's office, their clients are hearing your tactics. I think that's a complete issue to public safety, and that's normal to have some type of huddle. But instead, the civilian complaint review board would say that you're being aggressive and you're looking for a fight. So it took that it took that away. It also took just the ability to to talk with your police officers. In a, in, a, in a sidebar, just like attorneys do with, with a judge in, in a court case where they have a sidebar. There's no sidebar now because of body cameras. You can't talk to each other and say, hey, listen, you think we got something here? Maybe this guy's full of shit. You can't even talk to each other. It's, it's totally unnatural. It takes out the humanity. And that is a tactical nightmare. I, John, I'm sure you probably agree. No, I think that's a great point. Yeah, I think, I think it's a great point. I mean, I don't think the public should know everything that the police does. I don't. I don't. I don't think that, you know, I don't think they should know absolutely everything. Like I said, with, with, uh, with Jose LaSalle, you don't need to know I have somebody out. Oh, you know, I pulled him over for his tin. So, cause he was smoking weed or whatever. Great. You don't need to know what the fuck's going on here. It's not, it's none of your business right now. It's none of your business right now. When it, when it needs to be your time to know, you'll know, but right then and there on that scene, the public shouldn't know. Um, and, and, and I do, I do agree with that. I, you know, I mean, CCRB, just like the DA's office are the biggest leakers of information to the media um, and, and probably other ne- nefarious things, because I mean, you know, let's, let's face it. We, you know, we've had CCRB investigators in, in uh, anti-police riots walking around protesting. We've had them, you know, are they associated? Do we, did we, didn't we have someone that was associated with something really, really bad and they were arrested uh, a few years back? Um, yeah, I remember we were talking about. It. I'm trying to remember the name. Oh no, released. Uh, no, they released all of our information onto the internet. Yes, uh, we're, we're talking about with the 58. Yeah, yeah, they released it all prior to, and then and then everyone wound up getting all our information anyway. But this person just released it all anyway. They gave it to the Gothamist, I believe, um, if I'm not mistaken. And the Gothamist uh, put all our information into the papers. Um, yes, you know, and that could be used detrimentally. You know, so I, I, I you know. I, I don't trust the CCRB with, with confidential information. What if it's something about your CI? What if it's something, you know, the name of your, of your confidential informant? People can get killed over certain information. And, and so I, I think that's a great point. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Actually, again, one of my civilian complaints, which there are many of, uh, I had uh, arrested a couple of gang members. They're actually in custody right now for conspiracy for murder. But in regards to this case, it was a confidential informant that I had with credible information that these particular gang members were supposed to be in possession of loaded firearms on this particular day that we made the arrest because there was an ongoing beef with a rival gang that was about a block away. And in regards to that, at my civilian complaint review board investigation interrogation, I was asked and inquired to release the identity of the confidential informant's information. What led me to that location? Because that was the information that and eventually led me to the location and to an arrest. And I would not release that information because that's putting public safety at risk. I would not release the information of a confidential informant, my credible source. They even went through my papers and there's nothing documented with this information, which it would not be there. And with that, I was, I was substantiated for untruthful statements, which I think is a complete farce. I, I'm not providing that identity and I still stand by that. Yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, I think that that's that's ridiculous. That that first of all, it's not an untruthful statement. They're not they're not privy to that information, nor should they should be. And God only knows what happens when it comes in the hand. I, I think I think you did the right thing. I can't, you know, that should be expunged from your record. 
if you had a department, if you had a union, it would be. If you had, it got crazy. My interrogations with the Civilian Complaint Review Board by far exceed the amount of time that we do these podcasts. I sat for one interrogation for four hours. It started. I would spend my entire day with the logistics of getting to the Civilian Complaint Review Board, getting interviewed, and getting back to the precinct. There were so many days that I actually accrued overtime because of these investigations. They interviewed me for four hours, sometimes four and a half hours, and, and they needed breaks. I mean, they just kept probing and probing. It was the most ridiculous thing. It was completely overzealous. It was completely at, uh, apparent that I was targeted, and I'm sure that's happened to guys right now. And that's why we have to be the catalyst for change. We're trying to help you for the cops that are out there right now. Any rank that you're being targeted by the Civilian Complaint Review Board, you are up against a fighting hill. It's it's a tough battle. And no one's going to support you within the police department, unfortunately. And we've seen it at these city council hearings. They're not standing up for you. They're just letting it happen. Yeah, I mean, uh, we definitely saw that. Would you, what, are you, what are your thoughts on the, the Jose LaSalle interview? You know what? Listen, I, I, it was exactly what I had envisioned, because I remember even the first interview when you interviewed, when you interviewed me upon my retirement, I was so excited to actually have an opportunity to finally speak out about what police work is about, and I wanted to speak to public and and have an opportunity to give my side of the story, and I think the police department created more harm than good because at that point it was my opinion that. Jose LaSalle didn't hate me. He didn't hate Eric Dim. He hated Eric Dim in uniform and what it represented. I believe he took the first arrest that I had encountered with him personal, which he had admitted to. And I think that the police department created more tension. For years, Jose LaSalle followed me with cameras, himself and his crew members. And the police department did everything they could to avoid any contact between myself and Jose LaSalle. Never allowed us to engage into a conversation. There were several times he responded to PSA 7 for community council meetings. And I said, listen, why don't Jose LaSalle and I have a conversation and talk about these things? It could be the better of the community. And get an understanding of his mindset and explain to him why we do and the actions we take that might quell some problems. I think that's community policing. And the police department completely avoided it. And all it did was create more tension. I think this this interview that we had definitely softened some of the tensions. It gave him an insight to our mindset. And also, it gave us an understanding and the public to see the ultimate mission of himself and his crew is to abolish the police. But again, with advocates like himself and others, there's no solutions. They don't give us a solution of why they want to abolish the police. There's no eventual outcome. And he even ex- you even asked him, John, hey, listen. Well, then what do we need to do to change the police department if that's your vision? Well, he said, well, that would take billions of dollars. They just don't have it. So no one's coming up with solutions. They hate the police, but they don't know why. And he admitted it. He doesn't hate Eric Dim. And, and, and that was a great conversation to explore the whole ideology of black and brown. And, it, and he had an opportunity to even you know, just think in his mind about the arrest that we had. The only white people on scene was myself and the commanding officer. All the other officers, the lieutenant sergeants, were black and brown. And he explained how he saw them as blue. I think it was so valuable. I think that the public, the cops learned so much information and hearing both sides. I say this all the time, and I think we should coin this. Opposition opposition meets opportunity. Again, opposition meets opportunity. I believe that that interview we had was the best example and exhibited community police and more than the police department has ever done, even since the creation of the neighborhood coordination officer. We actually reached out. We touched his mindset. I think we were infectious, and it goes both ways. 
Yeah, I, I got to admit, I was a little worried that you had some animosity with him. He had some animosity towards you. Um, both definitely had high tensions in the beginning. Uh, but I think you were both professional. I think you both talked it out. I think it, I think it was a really good interview. I do think he just reiterated a lot of the stuff that we hear from politicians, investments in communities. I don't know what that means. I need to, I need to know an exact investment that we're talking about that has proven has proven to work to lower crime to better people. I know the PAL is a great thing that we that we really went away from, and I really think it needs to go back citywide. And I think there needs to be summer leagues and winter leagues and all different types of sports and and bringing these kids to other places. I think the PAL is a great opportunity, whether it be with the police or even with a different agency where we're doing something for these kids and we give them something to do because there really are nothing for the inner city youth. And and he did he did point out even the hypocrisy in the in the NYPD when we're giving these programs away. I mean, it's it's going to it's going to the friend, friends of us, their kids, you know, these kids that, who are probably already privileged. Right. If you remember, if your family member is a high ranking member in the police department, I don't care what color your skin is, how, what language you speak, what your religion is. You're you're pretty privileged. You know, you know, you're going to you're 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 in the upper echelon of New York City. Um, so. It doesn't matter your zip code, you know. That's that's it's 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 a low resolution thing, and I think that Jose LaSalle acted like a gentleman on this show. But I and I think he told the truth, and those were his thoughts. I do think they were. I think that they were low resolution thoughts. I don't think he ever thought out like really what should the police be doing, you know? Because a lot of the stuff he was talking about, oh, they pull you over for tints, oh, they pull you over for bullshit. I'm like, yes, exactly what we do. But how would how should we do it then? If if that's not and he didn't know. He didn't know. He didn't know what he wanted to see. But I but at the at the same token, so all right, he has a bad thought on that, right? He has a bad thought on that. I hate his post. Uh, fuck the police shit. It bothers me. He does it at inappropriate times sometimes. Uh, but I'm willing, I'm willing to overlook all that if to start a conversation and, and to give someone the ability to talk to, because I do believe that I said one thought could change your world. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying we're going to change his mind, but at least give him some perspective and at least disarm people. I mean, isn't that what community affairs is supposed to be doing, going out there and disarming people? You know, I mean, obviously what we saw from the deputy commissioner, he's not doing fucking anything. I'll tell you right now, Jose LaSalle don't even know who that guy is. I mean, he's one of the biggest, advocates for the community i mean i know he's a, he's a, i know in our eyes we don't feel like he is but he is he's respected in all the communities in the bronx and brooklyn people like cop watch you know why why doesn't he know the deputy commissioner of community affairs why doesn't he know who his community coordinator is why don't we know these people why doesn't anybody know where they are how come they're not at ccrb talking for you guys how come they're not out there with the kids what are we paying out these salaries for what are these people making salaries for? If that's not the connection that we're out there to have the conversation and, and listen, they're hard conversations. Me and Eric went to the CCRB meeting. We're going to probably attend the one this month. Um, some of the speech is incoherent. I'm not going to lie. Some, some of the things that Jose LaSalle said was completely incoherent and was not well thought out on his part. And you know what? We let him speak. We said our piece. Um, I don't think we agreed, but I think that's, I think at least we start a conversation and I think that's what we did. And I, I do agree with you. I think we did more than this fucking the whole time of Brad. I think, we, I think we did more there. I think 
more more of this is needed in the halls of government, in the halls of the police department, in in uh, the community affairs office. But the problem is, is the police department so politicized, and their leadership is so afraid, and they're so worried with hearing people's thoughts and opinions because you got to be careful, right? You gotta be, just be careful. <laughs> I, love you, I love what you're doing, Eric. I love what you're doing. Just be careful. I hate that, man. If I had a dollar for every time I heard that on the job, every time I hear you say it, it just makes me sick. I always heard that, oh, you're doing great. Please keep getting those guns. But can you guys just be careful? Yeah, like they want it wrapped up with this perfect bow. It's not realistic. All right. The byproduct of a civilian complaints, the byproduct of his threat resistance injury reports filled out. People, persons of interest, perpetrators that know they're going to jail because they're possession of a legal firearm and they just shot someone, they are going to be resistant. That's the bottom line. Their only option is fight or flight. That's their only option. They're going to jail and they're going away for a long time. Maybe not now, but at, at the time they were. But I will say this. In regards to the Jose LaSalle interview, what we explored and what we discovered, and I think the public should understand this, and even the cops, is there's actually more similarities and commonality amongst each other than there were differences. Ultimately, we want the same. It's just how we see the world differently. We want a, a, a great place to live. We want community. We want things for our kids. And even, I don't even think he realized what he was saying, right? I commend, you know what? I will say this. I'll commend him for coming on the show. I show courage and bravery, and it's a step in the right direction. I know there's a lot of people out there that hate him. I think hate is a strong word. I don't hate him because I believe, I honestly do, I believe that it comes from a good place. I believe that he thinks he's doing the right thing. So how can you hate someone for that? Whether you agree with them or not. And that's why I say opposition meets opportunity. But there are similarities and commonality. And he said, he agreed, these knuckleheads in the park that have illegal firearms that don't let these other kids leave, live, they should be on an island somewhere, right? They should go into exile. And you know what? He's right. There is an island where these kids are supposed to go. And unfortunately, because of bail reform, they don't go there and they want to shut it down. And that island is called Rikers Island. So we, there is a lot of similarities and commonality. So he's saying things that coincide with actually the police department's mission, but he just doesn't understand it because he sees it differently. He sees it from a different perspective. We're looking at it from a different lens. But this was a great opportunity to see what he sees and for him to see what we see. Listen, we may never come to a complete agreement, but I do think that this conversation that we had is to better the community. It may make it safer for police officers. I'm pretty confident that if Jose LaSalle is out there and there's a volatile situation, he may be the one to calm that or bring that situation to a quell and say, hey, listen, you know, I had an opportunity to speak to some police officers. You know, they're real people. And I think the police department do is doing a disservice by creating more tension, by not speaking to him. You don't have to agree with him, but hear him out. But he doesn't want to be heard uh, by the community affairs officer that has nothing to do with intrusive police work. He wants to talk to the cops that actually do the work so he has a better understanding. But that's what the police, the police department does. There's a situation that gets volatile. They remove all the guys that do the intrusive police work. Then they send in the community, community affairs officers with their light blue shirts. And the people in the public know that this is not the people that were doing this kind of work. I don't want to speak to them. This is bullshit. They're coming here just to soften the blow by, you know, massaging us and rubbing our egos. These people aren't stupid. They, and they see right through it. And that's the bullshit that the police department pulls. It's, and I think those people should find that offensive because they think you're stupid and can pull the wall over your eyes, but you're not stupid. You want to speak to the people that actually do that kind of work. That would create a better understanding. Bring the, the intrusive 
cops through these community council meetings to meet these people. You know what? Jose LaSalle said in addition to that, he's 100% right. He said there's only old people in these meetings. He's right about that. We don't. We should have everyone, all walks of lives at these meetings and meet them with the police department. That's community policing. What they're doing is just a Band-Aid. And the Band-Aid it keeps getting ripped off. Yeah, and he should have, a, you know, like I said, I think people should should get a platform and get a voice at the table. I do. I mean, and and like, let's let's see. I mean, I don't see any harm in, in having a conversation. I don't. I know they're uncomfortable conversations, and I know sometimes we're going to go down a path that you're just like, I don't know what to do with that. But if you can't explain it, I mean, why are you in the position? Why are you making the big money? That's what you signed up to do, you know, especially for the politicians. I mean, the politicians are fed most of what he said. Most of the things he said were buzzwords that I've heard over and over again from city council and them too. They can't, they, like I said, they'll never come on here. The, 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 like I I've spoken with some of them. I've went back and forth with them on Twitter. A lot of leftist media, Errol Lewis, New York one, they will never come on here or invite me on their show because I'll kill them with one question. One question, one question will the conversation will be over. You know, and 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 that and that, like I said, I don't I don't think it's been well thought out. I don't think uh, the communities that rail against the police. I don't even want to say the communities. I want to say like the organizations that rail against the police because that's what they are. Organizations like Cop Watch, um, a lot of other organizations that are city funded. He said that he wasn't. Um, he said he did receive donations. I wonder if he did receive them through not-for-profits that are funded through city funds. That's another question I had that I forgot to ask. Um, but there are these not-for-profits that are that are all through city funded that are anti that are anti-police. They're police abolitionists. They're anti-NYPD, and I don't believe that they'll come on here either because their thoughts will fail in one question. They're not they're not well thought out. They're not they, they don't know what they want from the police department. They just know they don't like the police department. And I just think that's lazy thinking and it's low resolution. And in order for them to further their thoughts on what's correct and what's right and what they're willing to say out of their mouth, we have to talk about. It. We have. Well, that's why I think the interview that we had with Jose LaSalle on both sides was a great step in the right direction. That was real conversation with real people. It was real talk. That's what Jose LaSalle wants. I can't blame him for that. You know what? Because when they send out some of these community affairs officers, these community leaders to speak to him and they give him bullshit. Well, you know what? That's the part he sees right through it. He sees right through the bullshit. And that's why this was a fantastic opportunity because you and I spoke to him about real police work, how police officers actually think you even told him the truth. He, you told him, listen, if you're in my personal space and you're filming me, I'm not going to be nice to you because I don't know who you are. I don't know if you're a potential danger. You gave him the truth. You were real. But if we had a community affairs officer speaking to him, we'd probably hear bullshit probably say, oh, you know, you have to understand, you know, the police officers need their space. And they would give him some cockamamie bullshit. And he doesn't want to hear it. He actually wants to hear real talk. So they're insulting him. By not giving him real talk from the real people that actually do the police work. That's community policing. Stop lying to the public. Stop trying to manipulate them. They can see through the bullshit. And that's the problem with this weak leadership and this management that we have. Is that's the theory. Let's send out these community officers with these light blue shirts, right? Because it looks it looks like it's going to soften the blow. That's the key to de-escalation. And that's what they believe is helping. And it's not. Real talk is what helps. And that conversation that we had with Jose, as uncomfortable it was for him and us in the beginning, we disarmed each other. 
and the conversation was completely professionals. We're all professionals in the same arena. And even you said it, John, at the end, and I think that's great. And Jose agreed. We all agreed. We're all part of the same hypocrisy. We're all pawns in the same game. So if you think you're any different, you're wrong. Yeah, and I think that's the way forward. Like the way we're being told now is to be careful. Don't talk. We don't want anything to be said, right? Everything is being done to control our own conversations. I remember as a kid, the older kids in the neighborhood would school me. Then when I went into working age, the older guys that would at work would school me and tell me how it is. And then even people that I didn't know or didn't act with in different professions, they would talk to me. And I learned so much through having other people give me their perspective or tell me where my perspective was off or how, why I was stupid or ignorant or immature on a topic. <laughs> and, 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 and it just taught me so much, you know, and we, we're losing it all. We're losing it all under this fake politically correct bullshit. You know, and um, I do. Yeah, I do. I do think I think the message of the police department now is is people think they're full of shit because they see right through it because they are. I mean, when you when you got this guy as the deputy commissioner of community affairs, are you going to sit here and tell me that the, the main mission of the New York City mayor is to is to bring cops and community together? I mean, obviously, he doesn't give a fuck about bringing cops. He took his idiot friend and he put him in a spot that he thought he could hide him in. You know, the guy's a, I mean, and he's not even doing, I mean, the guy's a boob and he's not even attempting to learn a job or do his job. I mean, it's, it's, it's a real telltale how much New York city mayor really gives a fuck about the community. I mean, he don't live anyway, right? When his term's over, he's going back to Jersey, right? He's not fucking, you know? So I don't know. I just think, I think it's a real, uh, I think we're doing the community a real disservice. I think they've been doing the community a real disservice. And I think someone said it today on my Twitter. What did he say? He said, um, the biggest advocates for this department, the biggest recruiters for this department are the men and women that do the job, that'll go out there and sell the job to young people, right? Like I'm a cop and then I, in I interact with somebody on the street off duty and I sell them, oh yeah, you should come on, right? We're the biggest advocates for this job. Not only in the community, but also to, to for recruitment efforts too, and we're all done. Everybody on the like the me and you are off the job. The guys that are on the job are like fuck this job. They're telling everyone don't come out, and they're telling the community, yeah, they all full of shit. They don't give a shit about you, and they don't give a shit about us. I mean, so that that's what's going on currently in the police department. You've lost your fucking way. This department, in the last three years, I don't even know what it, what it is. It's not the New York City Police Department. It is something else. It is something else. I speak to cops every day. Some some of them I speak to on the phone. Some I speak by text every day. And every day, all I hear is how much worse it actually is than actually what's been betrayed by the media, what's in the papers. It's by far even worse than we think it is. And we could feel it, even from the outside right now, we could feel it. When I speak to these cops, I hear it in their voice. I see their text, the disdain that they have within their own job. And they're counting down the days. They're counting down the days not to 22-year retirement, because that's what's what for tier three. They count down the days till five years on the job, till 10 years on the job, vesting out. I mean, I, I speak to cops on a constant basis. Some have already have gotten their shields. They're detectives. Some are sergeants. And they're still seeking out other police departments. They're willing to start from scratch and become a police officer in another agency. 
because they're just not being treated well. And I've also said this on post. John, I know you agree. I think the problematic issue with the pay is at the bottom of the list of concerns that they have. With the internal pressures that are mounting up on the everyday police officer in the NYPD, the pay, which is despicable at this point, is at the bottom of their concerns. Why? Because we have those that are getting promoted to sergeant. Some are getting promoted to detective. And even with that, and that's an increase in salary, and it's a better contract, they're leaving in droves, and they're getting out of Dodge as fast as they can. And that's why all these police departments, Houston right now is recruiting very hard within New York City. They're recruiting because they know they can get it. John, what you just said is 100% right. The best recruitment method should be word of mouth from the police officers that are active right now. They should be posting stuff on social media of how great the job is. They should be wearing shirts, advertising, how great it is being involved in events, events that would portray camaraderie. And the public would see that, and that would be enticing to a young man or woman to want to take this job. But they see it as just complete pitfall, and it's going down, downward. It is a sinking ship. And as far as I'm concerned, the job is the Titanic. It hit the iceberg, and it just split in half, and the band is playing. That's all that's left. And all their friends are getting promoted. You know, I, I hear it constantly from detectives i mean i i can't tell you how many messages i get from detectives about the discretionary promotions and i it, like you know like i always say i i don't know like there's there's certain like units i don't know about and there's certain uh, boroughs that i don't know a lot of people in so i don't know what's true what's not true but it's just constant oh this guy's got x amount of collars this guy handled this investigation but this person who does absolutely nothing or drives uh, this one or that one, second grade, first grade, boom. So, you know, the nepotism is ripping through. I do agree with you. You know, I do. I don't I don't I wouldn't say the pays last. The pays big. You said it before. The pays so big now because everything's bad. But I, right. I don't I don't believe it's the number one reason why people are leaving. No, people leave, like because we already said a thousand times on the show. The majority of people that leave leave for less money. Uh, less money and less benefits. So right then and there, it fails. You know, you got to come up with a better thing than it's to pay. But while we're on it, I got a special email. So I, I want us to give our predictions about what's, uh, I want I want to, I want you to give you a prediction about what you believe. You know, I, I do think the DC 37 ca- contract is going to get ratified on the 31st. Bunch of little trolls are running around April 3rd. The PBA is going to release that contract. But before we do that, I just want to read an email I got, you know, because I just want to say that this this segment is is thanks to you. Um, so that's why we're going to do our predictions. So here's the email. Dearest John McCary, I saw you gaslighting elderly victims. Oh, the name, <laughs> the name of this person is none of your business, right? So gaslighting victims. I remember when I said something a long time ago, I said, you guys are all getting gaslit because you are, right? So he said, I saw you gaslighting elderly victims of the SRG. I've seen videos of some of the attacks they were subject to. You fucking stolen valor piece of shit. <laughs> you have no honor. You're, you're, and then they keep the word together, so intentionally misspelled, probably abusive to your family. And I'm sure you take more tea than any trans man. I hope you rot in jail someday. 
I wouldn't be surprised if you haven't covered up a serious criminal offense. Spelled offense wrong, too, on purpose. I've seen a lot of letters get written in the IAB, so I know how you fucking rats think. I know what you try to do and how you try to portray yourself as somebody else. So if you haven't cowered, uh, if you haven't covered up a serious crime offense, given how effortlessly you gaslit for the second time, those older folks go fuck yourself. Love your whole bag mother. So this segment is dedicated to you guys. All right. So I'm glad you're listening. And my last post was dedicated to you. So we got, so here was the newspaper article today. Did you see the newspaper article today that, the New York City is New York City. The New York City Police Department is is re up their contract with a Hollywood firm for five million dollars. Did you see that? Oh, I sure did. <laughs> you saw that, right? Of um, course, I did. So, um, where is it? So, Pat Lynch made some comments on that. He said something in some and substance, basically like they, they could they could spend a billion dollars on advertising, but if they don't raise the pay for the salary, none of the, none of their recruitment efforts are going to matter, right? So I believe that's very telltale that statement. Like, what what do you what do you think about that statement? Well, I think that's foreshadowing of the contract, or actually lack of contract that they're going to get. So I'm going to say it now. You and I both say it. Two year deal. And no charge changes, no charge change issues or changes that that have been proposed in regards to this pilot program. Two-year deal, that's it. That's what I say. Even with the DC 37 contract getting ratified, two-year deal. I agree. Two-year deal. You're not breaking the pattern. You might even get less than the pattern. And by the pattern, I'm not talking about the DC 37 ratification. You couldn't get that deal even if the arbitrator wanted to give it to you. You are in binding arbitration. You are no longer in the settlement phase, is what keeps getting said. You are in binding arbitration. You are working off the last uniform pattern. The next uniform pattern is going to be set by the LBA and the detectives because they already said they're going to jump all over that DC 37 ratification when it does. You're not eligible for that. You're getting that two-year deal. You're either getting the pattern or less, and you're not getting that, that modern chart. Those are my predictions. That's Eric agrees with me. I mean, I I'm, I hope I'm wrong. I do, but I mean, nothing tells me that. And I and again, I think that that deal's been sitting on his desk for a year. I I think he's been sitting on this for a fucking year. I don't know what it's going to be now because it's always, you know, he's always throwing the ball out of bounds, right? The ball's always getting thrown out of bounds, right? It's just boop. Oh no, what we got it? Everybody's on board. We got. You know, everybody's on board. The police commission is on board. Oh, DC 37 just got DC 37 just got the thing. So we got to wait for the DC 37 to get ratified. Now they're kind of backed into it because there's two fucking asshole lieutenants that fucking <laughs> let everybody know that they're getting gaslit. So they had to fucking put something out. So now that they're here, so the thing is, April 3rd, we're going to see what happens. What's going to be the excuse? What's going to happen? Are they going to release the contract? I say that they have no choice. I say, in my opinion, they have no choice. They're going to have to release the contract April 3rd after that DC 37 ratification. And that's what I think. But I don't know how they're going to sell it to you. It's going to be on something. The health care, the benefits, like we said in the beginning. I don't know. It could be one or the other. But I'm telling you, they're going to get the ball. 
It's going to be somebody else's. It's going to be it's going to be the podcast. It's going to be Eric's fault. It's going to be somebody's fault. When I first read that email, first of all, I couldn't stop laughing. But I actually was able to dissect it. I knew 100% this is definitely coming from one of these 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 PBA guys. I love to use the fake names because they said about gaslighting. That's what you said to the PBA. But even what stuck out even more is you've been pretty adamant and expressive about how Pat Lynch wears medals that don't coincide with his jacket. And when I say his jacket, that means his actual personal record on his uniform. So when it said you stolen Valor fucking piece of shit, that's what they were referring to. So uh, 100% this is coming from the PBA administration. The PBA administration has found us to be complete opposition, which is 100% wrong. We're actually trying to help the cops. We want the cops to get a good contract, but we've been calling out the intricacies, the atrocities, and the hypocrisy that has been done by the PBA administration. And with that being said, Tucker Carlson just said it. And I want to give a shout out to Sal Greco, who's been hitting the pavement, hitting the ground. He's been working so hard to clear his name in regards to the hypocrisy of him being friends with Ryder Stone, who is not a criminal, in comparison to Cardi B, who is a criminal that has been paraded around the NYPD. And with that being said, may I Eric Adams actually expressed that they, they do not discard people in regards to that incident because he was arrested. Sal Greco was discarded, but he's fighting back. He was on Tucker Carlson. And had, if anyone has an opportunity to see that video of his interview, Sal did extremely well. And Tucker Carlson, in, in a brief interview, actually expressed and pointed out some issues that we have spoken about this podcast where he said, where is the union? And Sal Greco had to explain that the union walked away, particularly Pat Lynch walked away from him, did not help Did not help him when he was terminated, just turned their back on him completely, not even figuratively speaking. He actually approached Pat Lynch in person, and he walked away from him. And you know what Tucker Carlson said? Well, that's for, what about that for corruption? So that's something to think about with the PBA administration right now. Sal Greco was, was disposed of. And I guess the rest of the organization is being disposed of also because it's my opinion they're getting a two-year deal. The foreshadowing has been there. Commissioner Sewell testified in front of the city council meeting about budgets, about what is being used to entice police officers to get them on the job for recruitment. And you and I never heard any mention of a chart change that would help the quality of life of police officers. No mention of it. So to me, that's just another foreshadowing that it doesn't even exist. And, and this article is very telltale. Read that article. None of them say anything about a substantial raise for the police. And none of it says anything about a modern chart. I think, again, it's, it's just more gaslighting. I wouldn't be surprised if there was some media contacts and that was a call made from the internal, whoever wrote me that email. Same letter that's probably wrote a bunch of same guys, probably wrote a ton of anonymous fucking letters to IAB. Because he's mad because you got overtime because you actually did the job and he was the auxiliary coordinator. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I can't believe that a grown man went out of his way to write that email and not leave their name. I'm sorry, but you are a total coward. And I have a, a name for you. I don't want to say it on here because I want to keep this professional. You are, it starts with the word P, ends with Y. That's exactly what you are. To put that out there and not put your name, shame on you. And you know what, John? That they said that you take too much tea. I would take that as a compliment. I would take this. So you're saying that John looks better than you. Well, you're probably scared of John, and that's why you would never actually leave your name completely intimidated by it, being a total coward. So you know what? If there's things that you wouldn't say to him in person, don't say it on the email. That's totally coward, and you're hiding behind social media. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I listen, dude. The, the email doesn't bother me. I think it's hysterical. I only put it out. I get a ton of stuff like that um, on Twitter, Instagram. I only put it out because I thought it was so funny, but it really is pathetic. I mean, when you look at overall, listen, I troll Eric Adams every day. I troll him every day. Every day. Eric Adams knows my name. Everything he puts out, I get zero done. You did nothing. You know, he the Photoshop here. He's on the train, but the train doesn't move and the doors never close. And his whole security team's around him and everyone's sitting there as his staff and he pretends like he's doing work on his iPad. I abuse the guy every day, but I do it with my name, right? I do it with my name. I do it with my name and my face. That's how you troll. Like, you want to be a troll? It's pathetic. You have all these one-user accounts, and you're coming at. It's, it really just shows you have no argument, and it, and it just makes me – it just it just emboldens us more to understand that we're right because if we're wrong, just tell us we're wrong. I mean, I don't understand. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you really disagreed with the things that were saying, then you would just say it like a man with your face. Or you would come on this show and you would make me and Eric look stupid. But obviously, you, you can't. So this is your only way is to try to, like, do little sneaky things like this. I think <laughs> it's funny. I think it's hysterical. But at the same time, I think it's truly pathetic. And anyone sitting there and defending this administration or the way things have gone – in this past 20 years, I mean, it's over 20 years, actually. It's, it's, it's really, it's, I, I, I'm like, I don't know what you guys would, would take for you to be mad or think things were wrong. Like, I don't know what, like, like, let's, let, let, let's just think about it. Let's just think about, let's think about prior to Lynch taking over. Let's see. Um, cops had a 20 year pension, right? Top pay was five years, right? Top pay is no longer five years. You no longer have a 20-year pension. Um, you would start with 20 vacation days, and you would top out at 27. What do you guys start with, 10? What do they start with, 10? 10 vacation days? So 10 days. Oh, t- I think that it goes up after four years. I think they get 13. It's, it's some type of increment um, amount that they accrue. Yeah. So you had a and you had a, and you had a personal leave day. So in your first five years, in your first five years of police work, well, five and a half years now, right? Because top pay is now five and a half years. Um, in that first five years, you give up about fifty-five days. You have given up that you had prior to this administration coming in. Um, and this is all stuff that had been given away. This is most of the stuff me and Eric had, but after two thousand seven, it went down. Uh, the 25,001 class was one of my favorite. We negotiated and accepted that it was okay for cops to make $25,100. The $100 is very significant because if it wasn't for the $100, you would be below the poverty line and cops would have been eligible for food stamps at that time. Now, I'm not 100% on that, but I believe I'm very accurate because that that weighs it's avoided, and I believe that's if you have a family and a child. So we negotiated a contract. That's why the twenty—you never hear the twenty-five K class, you hear the twenty-five one class, because that one hundred was—they gave you a hundred dollars to keep you above the uh, the poverty line. Obviously, they got negotiated that because it was horrendous. But even then, they weren't experiencing what they're experiencing now. Even then, they weren't experiencing what they're experiencing now. Um, the department could only reschedule you for 10 tours. 
I don't know how many tours could they could probably reschedule the whole year now. I I don't even ten. Tours. I think the the last I heard the, the last I knew when I was working was twenty five. So you do twenty five. So we had ten tours, right? So if they schedule you past ten tours, you were eligible for overtime. You got rescheduled, didn't matter. You're on the day tours. You're on the day tours, and they tell you you got to do a four to twelve. It's the eleventh time. Whole tours overtime, right? That's gone. Right now you got to do twenty five. Uh, we had the two business day rule, right? Which is really they called as the 48 hour rule. If you were involved right. in something, you had 48 hours to seek a lawyer. That's now gone. Right? Remember that, right? You had 48 yes. hours to get a lawyer and to, to consult with a lawyer, but it was actually two business days. It wasn't just 48 hours. And that makes a ton of sense, right? Um, that was lost in arbitration as well when we went to arbitration. And all of these past arbitrations, by the way, have been two year deals have been accepted. So let's just go back on history. Four times. This is the fifth. All four prior times, two-year deals. Okay. Um, you didn't have a body camera. We negotiated a body. You negotiated body cameras in. 2.5%, $50 a check. Um, if you lost a prisoner, if you lost a prisoner, it was at most a CD. Under Lynch, it became a required 30-day uh, suspension and 30-day a 30-day suspension. Um, so prior to, I, I think that came in when we were pretty early on. I think we had like a year or two on, um, prior to that, it was a C day. Then it became an automatic 30 day suspension for loss of a prisoner that happened under Kelly. He was pissed. Everybody was losing a lot of prisoners, but before it was a C day, people have lost prisoners and got warned and admonished. There's still some people on the job that have got pr lost prisoners and got warned and admonished CDs. You guys are getting suspended for 30 days. And that, and that shit's going to follow you the rest of your career, by the way, too. Um, CCRB had zero power, none whatsoever. CCRB runs this job right now, runs the job, controls the, our ability to police, to keep the public safe. Um, there was no disciplinary matrix. Um, what was the other one? Cops and investigative assignments, right? They lost... 18 shot days a year, 18 shot days a year. You go into an investigative assignment. You're still technically a police officer. You lose 18 shot days a year. It takes 18 months. So you lose whatever. You probably lose 20, 20 something days. Um, so that's gone. Um, dude, there's just so much. I mean, I, I don't, I, there's just so much. I, 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 I can't. So like, I, do I do I fault Pat Lynch for all of it? No, but let's just look at it. I mean, I I think all in all, arbitration has been absolutely terrible. We've lost more than we've ever gained, and it stretched us all out to the point where instead of getting deals and raises every two three years, whether they be minor two percent one percent whatever it may be, we don't get contracts for six years, quarter of someone's career, more than a quarter of someone's career. So I think. I, I, you know, I'm not being hard on him per se. I'm saying his administration, they did a terrible job. That's what I'm saying. John, why don't we do this? It's obvious. We had, we had the Corey Grable interview. We haven't had any other candidates come forward for a potential interview. Pat Lynch has been reluctant to come on this podcast for an interview, even though the questions have already been presented. Uh, we've been pretty expressive that those questions remain the same. We've been vocalized that he would be treated with utmost respect professional and he's already prepared to come on the show with those questions. 
since these PBA uh, PBA administrative members have been so vocalized and expressive with these fake accounts, why don't we give them an opportunity? If anyone wants to come forward, you don't have to say it was you that sent that email, but come on this podcast. And if Fat Lacey was not going to come on, come on this podcast and to defend your position, explain to us why John and I are incorrect about these contracts and how Pat Lynch has done a great job. That's what we're saying. We're giving you an opportunity to come on this, on this podcast, to give you a platform. If we're wrong in this debate about the contract issues, if we're wrong about these buy, uh, these givebacks, well then come on this podcast and give the public an opportunity to hear it and correct us on it. And honestly, I'll admit if I'm wrong and you correct me, I'll say I'm wrong, but we haven't had an opportunity We've actually analyzed the data. We've expressed it. We've given it to the public, and we showed how it's been completely a downfall for the union with the, with the police officers. And we've been we've actually g- given you just now in bullet point all the information. So we're giving you an opportunity, a trustee, anyone in the PBA administration, other than Pat Lynch, it's Pat Lynch will come on, come on this show. We invite you to the podcast and give us the platform and tell us why John and I are wrong, and tell us that you're going to give or going to get more than a two-year contract by April 3rd. And honestly, I find it hard to believe all the foreshadowing that we hear just points in that direction. Yeah, and, 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 and I'm sure Eric feels the same way as I do. I hope that you're laughing in our faces, sending us messages that you guys got a long-term deal and a mind chart. I really do. I, I'll, I'll take it. I'll be like, all right, I was wrong. I really do hope that. And I, I'm sure Eric feels the same way. I'm sure I'm, I'm sure you do. I don't mind being wrong. I've been wrong about a million fucking things. So, but that's the way everything was presented, the way everything's been set up, the spin on everything, the whole way. That's, I mean, that's what I'm, I deduct out of it. And I, and I do believe there's no transparency in your union. And I don't, I don't think it's right. I, I don't, even if it turns out that you guys wind up getting a good contract, like, why are the union members? Me and Eric shouldn't be privy to the, to the, uh, to the to the the delegate meeting, but the members should be. I mean, I, I we've been getting it because there's so much animosity in in the PBA now that even and in all the unions actually, because in all the unions there are people that are very high ranking in there that talk to us every day, you know. So it's you know, there's a lot of animosity in all of them. And, and, you know, some of it's warranted, some of it isn't. But, I mean, there is no transparency in all the unions. I'm going to give that out. You know, how do you run for PBA president? How do you run for trustee? How do you run for delegate? What's what's the bylaws? Like, bylaws should be given in every in every union. Every, every union member should understand how they're being represented, what they're entitled to in, in certain scenarios. And none of I don't think any of us know it. So, I mean, I, I think transparency needs to change. I think that's a big one. The fact that he won't come on here is a big telltale. Um, and the fact of when I called out that it was going to be a two-year deal, when I put that on my social media, that I thought, I, I, based on what he was saying, I thought it was going to be a two-year deal and there was no new modern chart. The tax that I received ever since that day, I think, I think, I mean, I think it was a bullseye, you know, so... I'm, I'm, I'm again, I hope I'm wrong. I hope something comes through. Maybe Eric Adams has a change of heart. They're going to try to do something to recruit you guys. I just, again, they're in binding arbitration. I don't know how anybody's doing anything, but you know, I, I guess, you know, anything could happen. And I mean, it's, you know, 
this is one of the most corrupt cities in, 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 the, in the country right now. So, I mean, I guess anything can happen. So hopefully it does for the better for you guys. John, I'm going to say this on behalf of both of us. I hope that we're both dead wrong. I'd be happy if the PBA was left phases and say, ah, look, we got this eight-year contract, right? Even two years past a six-year contract that they're at right now. I'd be happy because ultimately, I don't care if I'm right or wrong, honestly. I actually care about the cops that are out there because the men and women that worked for me, they were phenomenal. And I speak to them on the phone all the time. They deserve a fair living. They deserve to buy a house. They deserve to be comfortable. They deserve not to be in credit card debt. But I can only go by what I hear okay, and dissect the information and listen to the foreshadowing and the subliminal messages. I don't see any signs of a contract being ratified and getting these cops up to date. Unfortunately, everything I hear is reflective of what happened in the past. And what happened in the past is, is the best indication of what's going to happen in the present and the future. And it's unfortunate that to me, it's a contributing factor to the belief that we're going to have a two-year deal. I wish, and I will publicly say, if, if the contract emanates and it ratifies these cops, I'll, I will openly say, hey, I was wrong about this, and the information I had was wrong, and I'll, I'll be extremely happy for the cops. I want the cops to get paid handsomely, paid well. You deserve it. And with that being said, I still think if we get to that point, Cops will still be leaving in droves, and they're still going to have a retention problem. The mass exodus is going to continue. At that point, it's just going to give them a sigh of relief. Momentarily, it's going to be a temporary fix. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with that because there's a lot of other issues. I mean, even if, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's 100%. You're 100% right. I mean, it will be a very, very short temporary fix. And then it's going to go right back to got young guys leaving, uh, everybody retiring in mass as the, as the classes become eligible, as the biggest classes in NYPD history become eligible. Um, so I agree with you on that. I think I think it'll be a real, real temporary thing. Um, it'll be like putting taking an aspirin for a, gun, a gunshot one way and bleeding out. You know. <laughs> I, I would like to see the data. I haven't seen it yet. If we could compile the information, but. In the amount, these some these some of these classes were gigantic. I mean, almost two thousand cops for an entire entire recruitment academy class. And now we're getting these classes of five hundred. But from what I hear, I spoke to most of the cops that usually in these five hundred classes, they're only getting two hundred or less graduates. So we are far behind. This mass exodus is not going to be fulfilled for years to come. And, and I, I don't know why Mayor Adams has not openly admitted that we're having a giant problem. Instead, he's he's kind of hid that fact and, and said it's more of an opportunity to, to diversify the department. But we're having a real issue. It's extremely prob problematic. I, I don't know how much longer he could hide this problem. Yeah, it's definitely being hidden. And I, I again, I think it's intentional. Like I said, Eric Adams is a, is is a is a white progressive. He just he just has black skin. That's it. He is. What did uh. What did someone call him? They called him a Lululemon liberal. A Lululemon liberal. Um, oh, my God. How's his name? Ah, I can't think of the guy's <laughs> awesome. Can't think of the guy's name. But he's awesome. But he said Eric Adams is a Lululemon liberal. And he's a black guy. I can't. Oh, Delano Squires. He's, who's, by the way, if you guys should follow him on Twitter, he's great. Delano Squires. Um, he's got a sub stack, I believe, too. He said Eric Adams is a Lululemon liberal. That's what he said. And and I, That's and, I funny. and I agree with him one hundred and fifty percent. You know, like I said, he says a lot of good things, but he never does anything. He's ignoring 
I mean, just think about that in a year, right? If just just say the two classes, six months, eighteen hundred each, it's thirty six hundred guys a year. Where you know maybe you lose six hundred of them, so three thousand guys a year were going into the police department. And as as we're coming up on these classes now, they're retiring in mass. The only guys that aren't leaving are like inspectors, or they're in like some some good job somewhere. Uh, but they're going to retire in mass. You're going to be down, and you would have replaced them with. We're getting classes of 500, but only 200 to 300 are graduating. So you're replacing 3,000 guys leaving with 600 people leaving. I mean, do the math. It's just going to keep. And that's not. And that's not even including all the people that get hurt that go out on three quarters. It's not including the people that get that retire early. It's not re- people the people that get forced off early. And it's not including the guys that resign. They're like, this job isn't for me. It's not for me. I've been doing it for three years. Or they vest out when they hit five. Or they vest out when they hit ten. You're not accounting for anything. NYPD is 100% like you said. They hit the Titanic. They are taking on water. Somebody's playing the piano right now. Eric Adams isn't even on the Titanic. He's having dinner somewhere. I think he's in Staten Island today having dinner. He's on a five-borough food tour of, of New York City, and he's just doing photo ops everywhere he goes. Guy's a loser. Different different jacket every day. New York City mayor. We know you're the mayor guy. I don't need to see you in every agency shirt. Stop wasting our money. Nobody cares what your bespoke suits. Who's best dressed? Best dressed. Sick of hearing he's the best dressed. And if you're not the best dressed and you have an unlimited budget for clothing, yeah, I mean, and a New York City budget, you have billions of dollars, then you're a loser. You have no style. You know, <laughs> like, give, give me a budget. I'll wear, I'll wear bespoke, tailor made bespoke suits too, you know? Well, it's not just style. He's got swag. You gotta have swagger, man. Come on. <laughs> uh, I'm waiting for him to wear a civilian complete review board shirt. Has he got one yet? Does, nah. he, have, does he have a CC? No. Uh, nah. He needs to wear a CCLB shirt. He should. I'm sure, he I'm, sure John, I'm sure Jonathan Dosh would love it. He should. That's who, that's his style of policing. You know, he would fit in with the with the 12, you know, that, that Jose Lozal was asking us about. You know? it's, funny that you, it's funny that you brought that up because, again, going back to the Jose LaSalle interview, that was his perception of good cops. And you and I gave our, our take on that. And yeah, if that was the back. entire department, say goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. What stuff. do you think? Time to wrap this up? I think this is, this is good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is a good episode. So. Well, yeah, this is good stuff. Uh, John, any thoughts before we close it? No, I'm just going to go back on it. You know, I think, I think, you know, I think the body camera could be a great tool. I think that policing is very hard to understand. I don't think a lot of people do understand it. I think everybody loves to weigh in on it and watch it. I don't think people understand the, um, the intricacies of police work and of us, particularly the NYPD. I think we're shrouded in mystery. I think people have a very, very bad perception of who we are. Um, and I don't blame them for having that perception because we have cowardly leaders who are afraid to engage with the public and engage with anti-police rhetoric. And they basically, it, it paints us in a bad light, you know? So I, I do believe that body counts could be used productively, but they are not. They're being used punitively. 
discipline is up substantially since we instituted them against cops. It's deteriorating cops' mental health. And I will guarantee in the future, I don't have any data on this, but I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You have three pieces of equipment that you're required to carry around that it's not going to have physical effects on you. Uh, I do believe it'll it'll contribute to physical uh, uh, bill, physical abnormalities and it will deteriorate your physical health in the future as well as your mental health i think those those two aspects should be studied and uh and again for as far as for public safety if you're gonna say that it's kept police uh kept citizens safe from the police i mean i i don't i don't see how you have the data on that complaints are up cops disciplines up so if anything it's 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 actually done the exact opposite and as far as as a measure for public safety crimes through the roof since we implemented it so it fails that too so again i think it could be used properly i just don't think it is uh john i think that's fantastic 100 true and everything that we know the data the data is not reflective of showing better results when it comes to public safety the data has only been re reflective more substantiation substantiations for discipline and complaints against officers. So we talk about transparency. I think the only way that it's been transparent is for the anti-advocates to hold the police officers accountable in their vision of what policing is. But unfortunately, we have not heard what their actual vision is because we never hear the solutions. We just hear gripes, critiques in regards to policing viewed by body one camera. I think body one cameras is the slow death of intrusive police work. There are police officers out there right now that are outliers within the YPD and other departments throughout the country that are doing their best to maneuver and manipulate with the body cameras and with the patrol guide procedures and law to actually do intrusive police work. But unfortunately, they're only hurting themselves because they will find themselves being targeted by civilian complaint review board oversight or inspector general or other agencies that will have oversight to critique you based on optics. With that being said, thank you so much for viewing us. I really appreciate it. Again, thank you to our friends that brought this episode by Laidlaw Blue Financial Services. You can contact them at 888-901-BLUE and they can tailor to your financial needs for you, for the NYPD members and their families. Tell them the unfinished filter sent you there. And John, thank you so much for this episode, 265 Police Live, my friends. Be good.